0: Who gets drafted out of midget hockey? I mean, who does that? Most guys will have a season, two seasons, three seasons of major junior, then get drafted and go pro. But who gets drafted out of midget hockey and then goes on to spend 12 seasons with the organization who drafted him? I'll tell you who, Rich Pilon, that's who.
1: some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Samstam. Somebody better help Samstam. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions.
2: You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it.
1: Oh my! Did Mick plant one on C-Card? Wow! You can't put a bounty on a man's head! I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop and the
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Zito. Thank you for tuning in to episode 16. 16 episodes so far. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And for those of you who have been with me from the beginning, I really appreciate that. And for those new listeners, uh, I hope you enjoy the ride. Uh, first, I'd like to say that uh, I hope all the moms out there had a wonderful Mother's Day. Uh, if you know me, you know how much I value my mother, my wife, all the moms in my life. I didn't uh, mean for that to rhyme, but it did. But um, mothers are the heartbeat of the world. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, women that raise children are, uh, you know, they're beyond words in my eyes. And, uh, you know, um, we should value these women every day. Um, but, uh, you know, Mother's Day, I guess, is the designated day where we really show our appreciation. But, um, like I said, I, uh, I hold moms in such high regard that uh, I hope every mom out there had a wonderful Mother's Day. I would imagine that zero moms listen to the show, but in case you do, I hope you had an amazing Mother's Day. Uh, as far as this show, if you wouldn't mind, I would love for you to please... Please subscribe to the show and if you have a second, please rate and review the show. Uh, I I don't exactly know how that works, but I guess the more uh, reviews I get and the more ratings I get, it makes it more visible on the platforms and it helps grow the show. And uh, if you have a minute or two and you wouldn't mind doing that for me, I would appreciate that very much. Uh, I can be found on social media. Now on Twitter... I have two accounts, one is a personal account, that is at Joe underscore Lozito, so that's at J-O-E underscore L-O-Z-I-T-O, and the Twitter handle for the show is at Kali Sin Bin Pod at C-O-L-I-S-I-N-B-I-N-P-O-D. So if you wouldn't mind uh, giving both of those accounts a follow, I, of course, will follow you back and uh, help grow those as well. Um, I want the show to get as big as possible. I don't mind uh, where I currently am. I, I kind of like, uh, like being uh, the underdog, I guess, uh, in, the, in the podcast world. I don't necessarily know if underdog is the right word, but I have, uh, I have a strong following in terms of uh, consistent listeners, and I appreciate all of you. But of course, if the show got any bigger, I wouldn't mind that either. So um, if you wouldn't mind hitting me up on Twitter, uh, follow those accounts. Like I said, I'll follow you back. It's a monstrous pet peeve of mine when people ask you to follow them on social media and they don't do the courtesy of following you back. I don't think you automatically need to follow someone back that follows you, but if you put it out there that you're looking for followers and people are nice enough to follow you, follow them back it's amazing when I see these accounts that say hey give this a follow and you go and they have 20,000 followers and they follow 87 people well what kind of shit is that you want people to follow you so be it follow them back don't be a dick just just hit follow so um, like I said anyone that follows my personal Twitter or my uh, account for the show Twitter account for the show I definitely will follow you back Uh, I'm also on Facebook Um, again personal one is Joseph Lozito and the show one is the Coliseum Chronicles the penalty box so uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, hitting like on the Facebook account as well Uh, not too much activity on that one but I'll keep you up to date with stuff that's going on with the show and the like also please uh, if you've seen my social media accounts you have seen my relatively new logo that was done by the ultra-talented Joe Marisic. and Joe is an amazing artist. He just uh, he just did a cartoon for the Islanders play-by-play voice, uh, Brendan Burke. I almost called him Brian Burke, but it's Brendan Burke. That's where the uh, little hesitation came in, but uh, Joe just did a cartoon of Brendan Burke, and of course it was excellent, as is all of Joe's work. So that's Joe Maricich. You can reach him at loudegg.com or on Twitter at GraphicsJoker. G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R. Joe is amazing. It's very simple. I love my logo. I love all his artwork. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Uh, Hit Joe up if you want any work done. He's uh, he's pretty amazing. As far as uh, other little fish in the podcast world, uh, just a couple for you to listen to. Um, Fourth Line Voice is back on the uh, Hockey Podcast Network. It's the same network that has Terry Ryan's Tales with TR, um, the uh, the original gangster of the uh, hockey enforcer genre. He's back and uh, two shows a week. One is a classic show from... The prior incarnation of his show is uh, old shows from the catalog that are being reborn on the network and a new episode also every week. So uh, please give that a listen. Darren does a pretty amazing job there. And, um, you know, he has players on. He has other fight fans on. uh, And uh, you'll never be disappointed. They're uh, They're always entertaining. And also, another show that will never disappoint you, the Fight for Fighting podcast with Alec. Uh, I don't think he's had a show in the last few days. Um, He's probably still reveling in the fact that he appeared on, uh, I think, TSN radio up in Montreal with uh, his hero, Chris Nyland. He's probably still reveling in that. But uh, I know he's got a few episodes that are due out hopefully soon because I happen to be all caught up with uh, the shows I need to listen to, so definitely uh, check out Five for Fighting. Um as far as myself, so if you follow me on Twitter, and you follow uh, either of the accounts, you saw that uh, I recently completed my Ultimate Islander's Enforcer Bracket Tournament. And uh, two mixed reviews. So, Ross Johnston is the inaugural winner of the tournament, and uh, I think that raised more than a few eyebrows, uh, myself included. Um, as if you followed it, you know that my number one seeds were Clark Gillies, Bobby Nyström, Mick Vakota, and Eric Cairns. Uh, I fully expected Gillies or Nyström to win the left side of the bracket, uh, or and Cairns or Vakota to win the right side of the bracket. Had there been a finals matchup between uh, th- two of those guys, I wouldn't have even blinked because. They were the number one seats for a reason. Uh, there's always uh, an opportunity for an upset here or there, but, um, you know, I kind of expect, to be honest with you, I kind of expected Gillies on the left side. And uh, on the right side, Cairns and Makoto would have been interesting because uh, you never know how people are going to vote. Um, you know, so I could see. I could have seen either one of them winning. I mean, I could have seen Bobby Nystrom beating Clark Gillies, but... I think Gillies has just uh, this incredible reputation where he would have been tough to beat. um, But then a dark horse started to emerge. Uh, Some people have told me that my tournament was hijacked by a current band of rogue marauders, the Ross Johnston uh, faction. Uh, There's a a group of people on Twitter that uh, are uh, huge fans of Ross Johnston and uh, I don't know if, (laughs) I don't know how many of them there are, I don't know how many accounts are legitimate, uh, but they came out in full force. So, uh, congratulations to Ross Johnston, who I do not believe listens to the show, although uh, I think he should. That's, of course, I am biased, but I think he should listen to the show, but Ross, if you're listening, congratulations on your victory. Um, It seemed like after the fact there were some disgruntled people Uh, That we're not happy with the decision and to those people I say if you voted. Thank you for voting Uh, Hopefully in the next tournament you'll vote as well And if you didn't vote you should have voted and maybe something could have been done. So um, The only rule of the tournament is that once you win you are no longer uh, Entered into the future tournament. So uh, for those of you who are upset with uh, ross johnston Winning every single matchup that he was in uh, Have no fear in the next tournament He will not be entered as guys win the tournament. They uh, they will just become retired from the tournament So Ross will not be in any future tournaments. So if you feel that evens the playing field, then um, please uh, Either continue to vote or start voting the only way to get your guys in there the guys that you are either fans over the guys You feel should be there is to get out there and vote. So um, again, for anyone who voted once or 40 times, uh, however many times, however many matchups there were, thank you very much. If you don't vote, it's no fun doing it. So, um, so if you took the time to vote, thank you. I really appreciate that. So uh, episode 16, and uh, I have a guy on here that uh, definitely made his mark with the Islanders. And uh, as I went back and re-listened to the, uh, the beginning of the interview, of course, I, I made mention of his ranking in penalty minutes. I neglected to say Islander penalty minutes, so it sounds like I believe that he is the uh, maybe the second all-time penalty minute guy, but I think you know me better than that. Uh, Mr. Rich Pelon, the current GM and head coach of the and Red Wings of the SJHL was kind enough to join me and uh, as I said Rich in his 12-year Islander career accumulated 1,525 penalty minutes and that ranks only behind Mr. Mick Lakota's 1,879. Ironically uh, they played the same amount of games. They both played 509 games total in their career and um, Mick has a sizable lead over Richie, I don't think either one of them are in any grave danger of losing their positions on the all-time list as far as penalty minutes go Now that we have a kinder gentler NHL uh, Richie did edge Mick out in points. Richie had 60 points Mick had 45 But Mick was more of the sniper uh, He scored uh, 16 Islanders goals compared to Richie's six. So I um, As you know, uh, I did uh, three episodes with Mick earlier in the season. And uh, this uh, interview with Richie will be uh, done in two parts because we spoke for about four hours. So um, if you're an Islander fan of a certain age, you know full well about Rich Pilon's career. You know uh, what kind of player he was. He was a bruising defenseman, punishing defenseman. Um, You know, he's the kind of guy that probably couldn't play nowadays. Uh, Rich was just, he was a bull back there. And if you went near any of the Islander goalies, you were going to get hurt. If you tried to uh, pull any bullshit, uh, you know, out there, he was going to call you on it. And, you know, Rich is a guy who has taken some heat from some players and from a lot of fans because he continued to do his job while wearing a visor. Uh, And I, I don't know how many fans really know the story uh, about the injury that he sustained and how serious it was and why he needed to wear the visor i think you know either you know it or you don't know it and if you know it maybe you don't realize just how serious it was obviously for uh, old time hockey fans the uh, the ideal situation is uh, the gladiators go out there with no helmets on uh, or if they have to have the helmet on no visor but Uh, Richie didn't have a choice, and um, you know, and and I think that was something that a lot of fans, like I said, didn't have a, didn't take a liking to, but, you know, if the guy doesn't wear the visor, he doesn't play, and I'd much rather have Richie out there with the visor doing his thing, uh, than not have him out there at all, so, um, hopefully, after you listen to this episode, and you listen to part two next Monday, uh, if you don't appreciate everything that Richie brought to the team uh, that you do afterwards and uh, hopefully have a little bit better understanding about the visor. I'm pretty sure we touched on uh, all the important parts of Richie's career. Uh, obviously, we talked about Eric Lindros, probably uh, his number one nemesis. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to think that uh, Richie was Lindros's number one ne- nemesis. But, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed this conversation with Richie. Uh, Richie's one guy that even though he played for a long time with the Islanders, him and I never really chatted a whole lot. Uh, we may have spoken in passing a handful of times, but more often than not, uh, when, when Richie was on the team, if I was down by the locker room or at Canyon Park, I was probably, you know, chatting it up with Nick or Bomber or Sevy or any number of guys that were with the team and uh, you know, Rich isn't gonna wait around to talk to me and And that's completely understandable so uh, so it just really ended up that way where um, rich and i never really had an extensive conversation at all so this was pretty much the first time that we'd ever spoken probably more than two minutes and uh, we ended up uh, going at it for four hours Uh, you can uh, take that what you will maybe i could have phrased that better but uh, we chatted for four hours, and uh, it was really enjoyable for me. I love uh, I love hearing the old stories, the old war stories. And uh, Rich really surprised me with a few things. And uh, he didn't hold anything back. He uh, he spoke about some uh, some old personal demons from his past, and uh, didn't sugarcoat anything. And um, obviously, we spoke about the honest stuff. So, without further ado. Here we go with part one of my interview with old number 47, Richie Pilon. Have a great day, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lizito. Today, I have the man who only one man can say they have more penalty minutes than my guest today. And that man is his former running mate, Mick Vakoda. The man I have on today recorded 1,525 penalty minutes in 509 career Islander games. That man is the bull on the blue line for the Islanders, Mr. Richard Pilon. How you doing tonight, Richie? Good, Joe. Nice
1: to, have, nice to be here. Looking forward
0: to this. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. I, I am so pumped to have you on here. I got a lot of questions. Uh, you know, I think I told you that uh, I had uh, I had Mick on. We, we had to break the show up into three episodes because we chatted for so long, so... Uh, I don't think I'm going to have you here that long, but I'm pretty pumped about that because even though you played for some other team here in New York and uh, you finished your career with the Blues, I, I look at you as basically a career Islander, so I, I hope I have a lot of good questions for you. So uh, so my first question would just be if um, if I had a time machine and I went back to see a young Richie Pilon on the ponds in Saskatchewan, uh, who were you? Who was your favorite player back then?
1: Uh, back in the day, it was actually uh, Gila Fleur, and uh, I was you know I grew up watching the Canadians and the Islanders were my two teams, and so it was you know fortunate enough to play for the Islanders, being drafted by them, and uh, but I was always kind of like you know if I was yelling a name out, I was Gila Fleur and you know the flower, and to have a bit of a story about that. Actually, it's kind of neat actually. Um. So, when I was playing midget in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, with Midget AAA, so I would have been uh, 17 years old at the time, and they had this ex-Rammer All-Star team that was traveling the circuit, and and with Guy Lafleur and Steve Schott were on this team, and I took a picture with both of them. At that time, I was 17 years old, <clears throat> and Guy had retired. Well, then he when I made when I turned pro with the Islanders in '88-'89, Gee came out of retirement and was playing for the Nordiques, which was really so. When we played against the Nordiques, you know, I got I lined up we were lined up against each other, and you know I looked over at him and I said, "Hey, Gee, you remember me?" <laughs> and he looked at me and he's like, you know, obviously he's, you know he's fluent French, but he understands English. Yeah. And, he looks at me and he's like, what? And I'm like, well, I played against you and, and so I'm, ha- I'm trying to have this conversation with him <laughs> that you don't remember playing me in mm-hmm. Prince Albert, Saskatchewan? And you were the ex-Rabber All-Star team, you and Steve. But So this is our conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he looks at me and goes, good luck, kid. <laughs> and I could have lined him up a couple times and I actually, he's one of the only guys that probably... I stopped. I yeah. wouldn't hit him. Yeah, but I, he was kind of my idol, and you know, a of the you know, I liked Gretzky and everything else, but you know, he was like my the guy, right? He was my favorite player. So, yeah, yeah that's uh, funny. So I was Gila Fleur. I used to yeah. always be Gila Fleur, and when I played dead, I was Grand Pure. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so, 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 so we uh, talk about you, you were just talking about midget. So that was with the uh, the Prince Albert Midget Raiders, correct?
1: Yes, it was, yeah.
0: So uh, I I either read it or heard it somewhere that back in the day, now everybody that that followed your NHL career uh, knows that your nickname was Chief, Uh, but did I read somewhere that back in Midget your nickname was Shaker?
1: Yeah, it was Shaker. So how it came about, Um, so a little bit about my hockey, like, you know, my, you know, it's not, it's, it's, the game has changed so much, obviously, and you know, finding these, I guess I would consider it been a diamond in the rough at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I never played any developmental hockey till I was 15. So, from the time I was, you know, I took power skating in my home. I'm, I'm, I'm originally from St. Louis, Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And I took power skating there. I remember, you know, you know, my parents and I were, my parents weren't very well off, so we had to very be careful how we, they spent money. And um, and I took power skating, and then uh, my dad coached me all through my. I think there was only one year he didn't coach me when I first started, but basically from the time I was probably I started late because I couldn't afford to play. I didn't start skating to, like you know like you know, on a team till I was eight, but I always played on the pond, and I always had you know skates <coughs> to play. I was Still skating, and my, my neighbor always... always uh, Marcel Enough where there was I want to mention her name because. Yeah. I skated on his rink, oh. <laughs> where I learned how to skate. Really, right? Okay. And um, you know, he had a son that was a couple years younger than me, or two, three years younger than me, Randy. And you know, um, you know that your my dad coached me, and he wore cowboy boots on the ice. He never skated. Huh. So he used to have pucks in the corner, and we used to do. He used to make, make us run on our skates and all these like crazy <laughs> things, right? But he wore everything with cowboy boots. And then uh, I eventually got a, a, a guy from our hometown was starting this program, like a midget, I guess your Bantam AA would have been. T- the, our Bantams at that time were 14 and 15, not 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. And it was canister, they were called. It was going to be my... So there was a guy from my hometown coach. My dad really, really liked the kid guy and but I ended up playing for this team for when I was 15.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, no, it would have been, I was, sorry, I was 14. And I played kind of a year and did very well. Then went back next year as kind of, I used to be a centerman, right? So it was that year when I was 15 years old that my father, um, what happened was he... During one of these games, um, you know, now when I look back, what Tim was doing was just evening out ice time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So Tim, you know, on the tough games, I was captain of the team, and I played a ton. But then when we played a poor team, I wouldn't see the ice. So my dad thought it was personal, and he thought that this guy, Tim, was just trying for me not to win the scoring Mm -hmm. race, holding me back. So my dad made me quit. So at 15 years old, where you're supposed to be kind of on your way and kind of a little bit on the path of where you're going, I now went, my dad wouldn't let me play, and I played in my hometown of St. Louis with the old-timers and rec hockey. Oh, wow. And what I used to do was, at our range, like, you know, we, we didn't have a zamboni, but everything was shovel, you push, so I used to, that's how I made money, was shoveling in between periods. Make my. It wasn't you. Didn't get money. You got free rink food. You got a burger and fries and a drink if you did all three periods, right? Oh. Wow. <laughs> so, oh, but then what I would do was I used to put a. Um, and then you know, no, no. I look. I remember Mr. Isidore I call him. He was the rink guy at the time, and I used to put a a a shovel in the back door, right on weekends. Hmm. And what I used to do was I used to leave my place, get up, and sneak out of the house. Go into the rink at night and play on on the real ice. Oh, nice! Yeah, and I used to do. I did that for you know, and I know Mister Izor for sure knew I was doing that, but he never ever said anything, right? Because there's new, you know, he gets in the morning. There's all of a sudden there's uh, ice marks, you know, there's skate marks on the ice, right? Yeah. So that so I finished that year there, and then I end up. My dad had this vision that I was going to play in the NHL. You know what? Honestly, uh, the the other part of it is that when you're our his. I don't want to say our, our ignorance of and naive and not knowing the, the game, like the political game and getting onto a midget AAA team. My dad was owed a favor from this, uh, Mr. Paschuk his name was. And he was a, and he was a scout a little bit for the midget AAA team and also the Raiders, the junior team, which I started my junior career at. So you, when you think about this game. I don't know if you know the name. Well, you would know Dave Madsen, right? Oh, yeah. So Dave Madsen was playing for this Midget Raiders. Pat Elinuk was playing there. Rod Dahlman was playing there. Yep. My dad put a pickup team to get me, give me a showcase, basically. And we had all these farm kids from around our St. Louis and Prince, like around my hometown. Like, we're all farm kids. Yeah. And we played against the Midget Raiders they came to play an exhibition game in St. Louis. Wow. And it was a complete shit show. <laughs> it was fighting. It was, you know, I wasn't very big either at the time. I was, you know, at that time I still was, I wasn't grow. I hadn't grown really. I'd grown, but I wasn't, you know, I was probably a 5'7 kid, 5'8 at that time. I wasn't turn. Anyways, long story short, got a tryout with the Raiders at 16 years old, right, with the midget team. Hmm. I had grown that whole summer. And I was now, God, close to 200 pounds. Nice. And I was about six feet. And um, a little bit slower and, you know, just not used to my body yet. And I was a centerman at the time. And playing for this midget AAA team, I was going to be cut. And what had happened, though, my dad had already taken me to, like, five other camps. Mm-hmm. I remember coming to play for a Saskatoon contact, which my son Garrett played for, and Mr. Mack, and who I actually she helped out for years on their decor, and I said to him, I said, "You cut me." He goes, "No, I didn't." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, you, he goes "No, you were gonna make our team. You your dad you never came back." And my dad told me I got cut. No kidding. Well, he was trying to get me ice time, so I could make the midget close to home. Oh, Okay. That was his thinking, right? Yeah. You know, can afford to, you know, because also lose money and yeah. So, anyways, um. I was going to get cut. I was a centerman, and a guy by the name of Gary Pochpinski, with the coach at that time, who's now the head guy, or was he still is the head guy in Victoria Royals. And i I just seen him here, like, this Christmas. And Gary was there, and there was a... Um, a player got hurt on the fence, and I had played defense, you know, small-town hockey, you play all over. My dad had me playing all over, right? Never left the ice, tell you the truth. My dad coached me. Okay. And I played defense, played forward, and when things got out of hand, he'd make me cast other players, blah, blah, blah. And anyways, uh, with this team, with, the, with this, midget, this Midget Raider team, a defense got hurt, and there was me and another guy, uh, this Bergen kid his name was. Um, we end up sitting there, and Gary goes, can one of you guys play defense? And he looked at the other guy, because he was a PA kid, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a defenseman. And he looked at me, and he goes, yeah. I said, I'll play. So I played. After the exhibition game, he goes, we'd like to try you again. there. Would you be interested in trying the team? I said, yeah, I just want to play. Yeah. So I played the next <coughs> exhibition. Then they talked to us, and they said, you're on the team. You're going to make the team. Mm-hmm. So now to this nickname... Now we're going to start the nicknames. i will give you a little bit of prelude of what happened. So I didn't know anybody, and you know I was kind of a little bit shy, right? Um, and I I would come to the rink with like my dad had an old truck, it was not was an old Chevy truck, and I used to have hay bales in the back for weight. Okay. And so they started calling me Hay Shaker. And after when I started playing, there I used to like I I loved to hit, mm-hmm. and all it went to Shaker. And that's how Shaker came about for for two years with the major AAA team, and a little bit with the um, um, with the with the parent club, which was with the WHL club, which with the Raiders, right? Which yeah. was my so I played basically two years at Midget AAA. I'm not sure if you know this whole hit kind of how it went from there. I'm not sure if you have you ever looked into that have you ever heard about it
0: about what when you were in the Western League
1: yeah like how my career kind of took off from like because I tell kids like this is how fast life can change for you because when you really look at it 15 years old I was playing old timer hockey mm-hmm. 35 plus yeah because I had nowhere else to play well all of a sudden 16, 17 I played two years of midget AAA. I get drafted out of midget which was that was a surprise even getting drafted yep and at twenty, I was in the NHL. Yeah, and you know, so the the Shaker name came about through you know through the midget team and it stuck with me a little bit with the Raiders, but then uh, turned into Peels, and then all of a sudden it was you know because of my 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 heritage of being, uh, have some first nation in, in our family that mm-hmm. it went cheat. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, so
0: we already mentioned we mentioned the midget team, so now. Your second season with the Midget Raiders had a very good season, and that earned you a six-game call-up to the big club, the Prince Albert Raiders. And two of the guys you already mentioned, Dave Manson, everybody knows Dave Manson, Rod Dahlman, who I love. I love Rod Dahlman. But you also played with a guy who ended up playing with later on the Islanders who had a pretty big reputation in the Western League uh, as being just an absolute killer, and that's Ken Baumgartner. So he was already established by the time you played those six games uh, up with Prince Albert, so I'm assuming that at that point, you knew all about him at that point, correct?
1: Well, we had heard, like, when Bomber came up, when Terry brought Bomber in, I was 17 years old, and watching, we went to every game, right? Mm -hmm. And we're like, holy jeez, this guy is, like, crazy. Like, he's (laughs) nuts. Like, he fought everything, he had the twitch already, and um, you know, just... He was, a, he, was a, he was an animal fuck. He was an animal. Yeah. And so that year, at the end of my, when we lost out, I got the call up to go play. And <laughs> this is so funny. Mm-hmm. You know, just pure naive. Because um, I got drafted that year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I had never been on a water slide. Okay. Okay. So here, so we're, they're playing the Medicine Hat Tigers in the final i'm uh i'm a, a black ace basically i'm not playing yet you know the first couple games we i think we lost whatever it was and we're in the we're in the hat med, mm-hmm. med hat and um did our skate in the morning and then uh we were we went water sliding all day <laughs> right and then we go to the rink, watch the game we lost well, the next day, we did the same thing. We, I couldn't wait to go to the water slide. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sitting there getting ready for the bus. I'm freaking dog tired because of skating, plus the water slide and climbing the stairs, right? Mm-hmm. And this guy by the name of Dale McFee, who was the assistant captain at that time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he goes, uh, Rich, you're playing tonight. <laughs> I go, what? And he goes, uh, yeah, Terry's going to talk to you right away. He goes, we we gotta we need somebody to crash a bang. You're gonna play left wing with me and Colin Fraser. <laughs> so I went and played forward now, mm-hmm. and Baruby's on there, right? And Shane Turla. Nice. And I am running around and I'm going after the, the uh, Conroy's name was right. Yeah. And all of a sudden Barubee, Barubee, who's his name was already Chief.
0: Yeah.
1: He is hunting me down. <laughs> Because I am taking all these liberties, that, but I'm not fighting because I was told not to fight. Right. Right? We win that game. Well, now I play again, and we win. We went to Game 7, actually. We lost in Game 7, but I was playing left wing. And yes. And so then I have to get drafted, you know, out of midget, which I was totally unexpected. And I got hurt, though, too, with right the last game. I hurt my knee. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, when I got drafted. Well, I can. Do you want me to keep going about the draft and everything, or do you have any more questions, Joe? Or? Well,
0: the draft was. I was going to ask you. Uh, you can go into the draft because my question was uh, that you were drafted in the seventh round. So, um, yeah. and it's it's pretty unheard of, I think, for a guy to only play six games in the Western League to get drafted. Uh, so, you can keep going, but I would ask you did you have any idea you were going to get drafted? Had you spoken to the Islanders at all?
1: No, zero. Okay. No, no clue. Mm -hmm. All I knew was that uh, I I filled out a – for the NHL uh, draft uh, questionnaire there was. Mm -hmm. So I filled out this 50 – basically a scribble, a little line in. It's not like it is now, but – Yeah. And I had a yes, no, whatever. I can't even remember what it was, but I wasn't too – So when I got drafted, I was actually – uh, we run the pony chuck wagons, and that's where Al are. We used to call me Ben Hur every now and then, <laughs> right? pony chucks. Yeah. And uh, we end up, uh, because of these pony chuck wagons, on weekends we go from, you know, weekend to weekend, you go, it's like, it's like the carnival almost. You go from town to town, and you do your thing with your horses. And I was in a, in a small town community called Big River, Saskatchewan up north. Mm-hmm. My sister stayed at home in St. Louis um the draft must have been on a friday because they couldn't get a hold of me okay and so all weekend i don't even know i'm drafted (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) my dad calls we're at the payphone i remember being at this payphone and we had trouble getting through and my dad is trying to get enough change to make a cult call then he's like we got to make a collect call we're trying to figure this out this is like You know, no disrespect to my parents, but this is just how it was, right? Yeah, of course. So I'm 17 years old, and Dad makes a collect call to my sister at home. And I'm sitting there listening to the car. I'm sitting, like, on the box at the end gate of the truck, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The the, the end gate's down because I was riding in the back, and Dad was driving. And we're just going, like, we're going to for a pancake breakfast, I believe it was, in Big River. And my dad calls my sister, and she's like, "Rich has to call Terry Simpson." <laughs> and dad's like, "For what?" He goes, "Well, he got drafted to the Islanders." And my dad got mad at my sister. He goes, "Rich, you can't joke about stuff like this, Lori. Hmm. It's not a joke." And uh, she goes, "Well, here's the number. Well, now we got that number. Well, we couldn't call because we we didn't have no credit card." <laughs> Right? And now we can't even call collect. It's Sunday. Right. I've been drafted for two days already, and they haven't talked to me. That's hilarious. Isn't that funny? Oh, my God. So, it, goes even, it gets even better. So, I've never been on a plane. Right. Okay? And I had a knee injury right at the end of this season with the Raiders. So, I get home, and sure enough, we call. I get home on Monday. I can't wait to get home. I'm excited and like all of Big River knows I've been drafted because they're announcing that Rich is drafted to the Islanders, right? Yeah. Uh, now they're figured out that I've been drafted, but I haven't talked to anybody yet. So we get home, and as soon as we get home that night, we our our Monday morning, we call, and sure enough, we talked to uh, Mister Mister Tory, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Bill said that we'd like you to bring you in to check your. We heard you got a knee. Cause we heard you had a knee injury, and I said, yeah. Uh, an MCL, and he goes. Well, he goes. We're gonna fly you in here this week, probably And I'm like, what do you mean, fly me in? <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I'm good. I don't. I, I don't need to get my knee checked. I'm good because I was trapping my fucking yeah. pants <laughs> that I was gonna have to fly. Yeah. And so they booked my flight. We drive from St. Louis, my hometown, to Saskatoon, which is about an hour and fifteen minutes with my mom, my mom and dad, mm-hmm. and my sister, and my both sisters. And my mom is saying the rosary the whole way. <laughs> they think I'm gonna die. Oh I God. think I'm gonna die. <laughs> okay, so I get on. I remember on being on the plane, and I was so scared, like petrified. That's, scared
0: of heights. Oh yeah, first time is a big, and you're not. You're going from Saskatoon to Long Island.
1: I'm 17. I'm 17 years old. I've never been on a plane.
0: Oh my god.
1: And I'm. I got to go through immigration, and they're giving me. I'm like, I am overwhelmed. <laughs> do I really want to? Do I really want to play hockey? I'm not kidding.
0: That's a step. I hadn't
1: seen the black guy. That was another thing. Yeah. This is so messed up, but like. I remember landing in Toronto and going, "Oh my God, there's a lot of black people yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, I'm not racist or anything, but i have never. We don't have. We have natives around us. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know, we have natives, and obviously, there's now they're there now in today's world. There's, you know, there's all different cultures, and yeah. So Terry Simpson picks me up at the airport, and you know I'm just I'm in. A, I remember sitting there; it was just muggy in New York. I landed at LaGuardia and. Mm-hmm. You know, now I've landed. I'm happy. I'm safe. Oh yeah, here's the other thing. When I'm leaving, as I'm taxiing out, mm-hmm. my parents could—I could see my mom and dad's truck, and my mom was kneeling beside the truck, praying. Praying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's tremendous.
1: And uh, I end up, I, I yeah, I, I thought I was gonna die. Man, it's unbelievable. Oh. I look back. So I land, I call, you know, right away, I said, I said, I tell like Terry, like, I called him Mr. Simpson, I'm like, can you call my parents, I know that I landed safe, <laughs> <laughs> right, so we do that, we get in the car, and Terry and I are driving, and he goes, um, so he, Terry's not, he's a very quiet guy, like, he got doesn't talk very much, and, yeah. So we get into, we get into, we're driving, and he goes, uh, you think you'd be able to drive? <laughs> I go, what? We what mean drive? He goes, well, I got to pick up this town car from Dale Henry and Gerald Diddick. It's the team. They were using it, but we got to bring it back to the Coliseum. Do you think you're okay driving? In New
0: York. In New York. this
1: is like on Long Island. It's in New York. And I'm like, you mean like drive it where? Like how far? <laughs> and he goes, well, it's not, it's not that far. It's a probably by the time we, it was actually in Huntington area, right? Right. So he goes, Well, by the time we go there and back it should be more than thirty minutes, he goes, like, you know, if there's no traffic. Yeah. I how many lanes is there? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, Well, there is many I because we were on the you know when you leave the LaGuardia, the parkway there?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's
1: I said, Well, two lanes, I'll be fine.
0: Yeah.
1: That's what I'm thinking in my head.
0: hmm
1: He goes, Well, we're gonna be on the expressway. Like, well, how many lanes is that? He goes, Well, three three and up to four. <laughs> I'm like, you think I should drive in this chair? I said, I, I drive on back roads like dirt roads. Yeah, yeah. I said, I don't really drive in this. I don't even drive in the city of Saskatoon, I go. <laughs> like, I drive in PA, like, we in, in my hometown. Yeah. I don't think I should drive. Oh, you'll be fine. Just, keep, just stay close. Just stay, <laughs> stay close.
0: <laughs> don't
1: <laughs> we stop short. We, we pick up this blue Lincoln. I fucking remember I get in there. I'm like, well, what happens if I lose you? I got no phone, I said. He goes, well, I'll make sure you don't lose me. I'll wait for you on the shoulder. A <laughs> oh, holy crap. We hit the expressway, the Long Island Expressway to 495. Yep. It was like I had a hitch on the back of his car. <laughs> I, I was a trailer because I was not you. And he must have just, he must have laughed. And when we got to the, to, uh, to the Coliseum, I was drenched. <laughs> <laughs> just stressed out. And. We get there and I meet. Now I'm I'm sweating and Terry had this little ch- he had this little smirk, you know. And, he, and I now that I know him at the time it was like it was a smirk. Yeah. Well, you've got this stupid ass smirk that's kind of funny that he's like laughing at you, but he's not laughing. He's laughing at you, but you really, it's just a smirk, right? Yeah. So I meet Mr. Tory and um, they tell me that I've got to go see Doctor Minkoff, who was our the team physician, and he's in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> so they they must just laugh when they think about this, because I was just like Brian Trotty a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there, and, and God, I don't even remember where I stayed. I think it was at the Marriott. Yeah, it was at the Marriott, Probably. right across from the coast Yeah. Yeah, it would have been at the Marriott. So I got my room. They bring me there. I get my room. And then Terry goes, Mr. Torrey goes, will come back here in the morning, and we'll figure things out for you to see doc- doc- Dr. Minkoff. So I, I go, well, can, can I see the dressing room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the room. I'm excited. Like, I'm drafted. I, I'm like a fan. I'm not even like a player. Yeah. I'm more like a fan. Of course. Like, I have no idea that they're looking at me to be part of this team. Right. I am just, holy shit, this is Mr. Tor- Bill Tory. You know, I am just in awe of everything now that I'm at the rink. Um, so I end up... Uh, Go uh in the morning show up. And Joey McMahon, I mean, you must number Joey. Yeah, right? oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So Joey is there at the at the rink and he he's a helper at that time. He was a helper. He wasn't a, a head guy at the time. Yeah, he's young, and I get there and I'm all excited, and I'm you know in the morning I remember I waking up and I I'm trying to figure out the American money. I'm having a really tough time with that, <laughs> and I get I get to the rink, and, and I'm in the office. Can you go down to the office there with downstairs. I don't even know if it's still there, down in the, the office there. And I meet Joanne Holloway, who's been there for a long She's still there. She's still she's kicking. Off. Yep. Yeah. So, I meet Joanne, and she takes me up to Mr. Tori's office, and then I get there, Mr. Tori. Uh, we go, well, we're going to show you the dressing room now. So, we go down to the dressing room. I'm just excited. I don't care. I forgot about the doctor. <laughs> so, Terry's down there, and He's by the he's in the coach's room there in the old in the, how it used to be set up and mm-hmm. I'm looking I'm looking at like pot fence things up there still right yep um, you know all the the dynasty they were all there and mm-hmm. I'm just like almost wanted to touch the the stalls I remember yeah and we start talking and Mister Torrey goes well we're gonna get you your ticket for the train and then uh, to go into the city I'm like what do you mean train <laughs> they're like well you're gonna we're gonna get get Joy will give you a ride to the to the train station. You're gonna take a train into New York, and then you're gonna to go to Dr. Minka. I said I'm not going. <laughs> and Mister Tory's like, "You're not going." I said, "No, I'm not going. I'm not doing this. I'm not. I'm not going down there by myself. No way." Hmm. I said, "I've heard way too many stories about New York City, the subway, the train. I've seen movies. I am not doing it." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so Mister Tory just kind of looks at Simpson, and Simpson's like, gives a big shrug and a smirk, and walks away. And Joey goes, well, I could drive him, you guys, if you guys want. If you I said, yeah, let's get Joey, get Joe to drive me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm way, I feel way better about this if Joey's going to drive me. <laughs> So Joey drove me to Dr. Minka's office. And that was my first day in New York. Second day, actually.
0: Probably a smart move not going in by yourself. Just a oh, big I'm old not- country boy. So, <laughs> oh,
1: I just, you know, the ride, I'm like, I had so much anxiety, I think, back now at the time. You know, you're just you know and how things change as you become comfortable i guess right yeah so, so that was it and that was the start of my first uh, being drafted and you know basically going to two training camps and um you know in those training camps stayed there for the minimum of 10 days i think 14 days 12 days whatever it was but i would really get there get sent home i wasn't a first rounder so yeah. i wasn't Right, mm-hmm. and at twenty, I remember sitting uh, Rick Wilson, who became an assistant coach with Terry that year. Yeah, I was twenty. No, Terry Rick wasn't there yet. Sorry, he came the next year. Darcy Regier was there, and I was sitting in the Raider office because Rick Wilson was now my head coach. Right. Mm-hmm. So my I only played two years of the junior at eighteen and nineteen. Right. Mm-hmm. And Rick, before I was leaving for training camp. Uh, says to me go Rich don't be you know disappointed if you come back as a 20 year old to be an overage us you know we'll you know we've we, we, we you, you've only played two years of junior, so it's not an in- like don't basically set me up for failure yeah like he probably knew already right mm-hmm. that I wasn't in their plans you know they were you know because I had not really I don't think I made a real big impact yet you know what I mean yeah but my numbers were good in junior at nineteen, right? Yeah, I had big numbers. You know, when I look back now, those are really good numbers for, to, especially for
0: more of a defensive minded defenseman, right? Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at your numbers right now, especially that second year. You had thirteen goals.
1: Yeah, I had thirteen goals. How many points did I have?
0: Forty-seven.
1: Forty-seven points, which was way right up there, right? For yeah, that. I
0: mean, uh, you went uh, that first full season. You had twenty-five points in sixty-eight games. 192 penalty minutes, by the way. And yeah. uh, in the second season, you had 47 points in 65 games. So, uh, so I mean, obviously that second year, that was a monster year for a defensive defenseman to have 13 goals and 47 points. Yeah,
1: yeah. How many pins did I have that year?
0: 177. So you uh, you concentrated a little more on the scoring, I guess. You dropped your penalty minutes down by uh, 17. Well, I, was or... trying to
1: make Islanders. I was trying to make the Islanders happy.
0: So (laughs) let me ask you this. So your first time going in was to get your knee checked out. So then later that year, later that summer, you came back for your training camp. And now it's not just the lockers. You're walking in and you're seeing Potvin and Trottier and Bossy. What, What is that like to walk into a locker room with those guys?
1: I remember asking the trainer I'm like, you think I should ask him for an autograph? And Joe goes, because I became, I kind of latched on to Joey. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And Joey goes, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. Not
0: right now. Yeah. Especially not Smitty. Yeah.
1: So, but I remember we used to be like, you know, back then it was like you had the parent club and then you had all the draft picks and, and the, you know minor league guys right In yeah two groups mm-hmm. like, did, did mick talk about it all did those guys talk about our day at training camp uh
0: not not that it would be a specific day but we we talked about oh. uh,
1: well go ahead tell me it was like i remember my first training camp and i'm going this is crazy to play like this like we used to get up i remember we used to get up and we'd have a we'd have a morning skate right mm-hmm. Or not a morning skate, a practice actually. Sorry, it wasn't a morning skate; it was a freaking practice. And then yeah. you had a workout, mm-hmm. and we were usually done by noon. If you were in the first, yeah, if you were in the second group, you're done by noon. Mm-hmm. If you're in the first group, you're done by like a 11, right? Yeah. And then you'd go back to the yeah. You'd have time for lunch, and then you would played an inner squad game from two to four.
0: No, wow. you're
1: at the rink. My first week, all I did was sleep and play hockey. Yeah. Because the days were so long that we got, I remember the uh, the diner that was right next to the old country Inn there at the time, on, on Westbury? Yeah. There used to be a uh, a diner there, well, there's diners all over, but there was yeah. a small diner there, and we got in a bunch of trouble because we didn't know we had to kick. Oh. So we would pay our bill, and we're like, why is she flipping out?
0: Yeah.
1: Because we weren't <laughs> leaving any money
0: yet. And I'm sure you guys, I'm sure you put her to work.
1: Well, yeah, we had a you know a whole table of guy young guys, right? We were yeah. all young, like yeah. me, and you know we were all young guys, Byram, and mm-hmm. anyway, so they were just long days. I remember, and and that was my first you know first training camp, and you know not you know I, I never made never got I, don't, I never I was just another player. I was another roster you know rostered player, not a roster, but a fifty man part of that fifty man list. you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was kind of it. And then, but the days were just so long, and they were bringing in aerobics instructors. We're like, holy crap! Like, <laughs> but we our days were just pathetically long. And we had when we had the dinner squad game, you only had four d You're playing every second shift.
0: This is the blue and, and white games, a, right? Yeah, you
1: yeah. played like every second shift. Mm-hmm. But I I was more excited. I remember I would try and get back early. Because I wanted to see if I could see, like, the big guys. Yeah. Because I'd stretch out in the, in the old Cantiac Park there. We were way in the back in the, you know, the, it wasn't the best facility, but it did what I had to do, right? Oh, I
0: miss I miss that place. I love going yeah. there. I loved it.
1: And, you know, like, you know, the big dome part in the, you ever been through where the dome is? Yep. So in that area, the, that common area, I guess you want to call that, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we stretched out all the time. So I used to stretch there. I used to race off the ice so I could stretch, and then watch like Gordy Lane and these guys Podman walk through me. Yeah. And I'd be just looking at him like not even say hi to give me a nod. I'd be giving the nod, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but inside you're going crazy.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just tickled pink. And but I went two camps like that, and then yeah. my third camp going back to Rick Wilson. Whole time he's talking to me, I'm going, "There's not a fucking chance I'm coming back. Yeah. I'm making this team." Yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Even the two camps, I thought I was like the guy. <laughs> yeah. But that, but that's really, I think that's how
0: you have to go into it, no?
1: Yeah, you do. That's exactly how you have to do it. You got to, and what happened was, I remember my third camp, um, I think I played freaking nine out of the ten. I got pulled up into the big group with mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah. And I remember guys tell because all but the first rounders were already there like dean Schnell was already there mm-hmm. you know derek king delgarno right they were skating with those guys already and i remember getting the call up to go skate with them now and i was like oh and and i still didn't i i i, I knew that i was getting a chance and i remember uh the one day and this is, goes back to your you know i i really believe in in your uh your your visual your uh, you know, the stuff you see every day that all of a sudden becomes true. Yep. I don't know if you you have the dream board that, that I believe in, right? Yep. And I remember like Todd McClellan was my roommate mm-hmm. and I used to send my at that well my wife I used to send her a card every day. So when they started landing here in in Prince Albert where she was from, she'd be getting a card every day, coming every day. I was being romantic. Nice. Very nice. You're smooth. <laughs> Smooth. Smooth, yeah. Yeah, just like butter. <laughs> and uh, I remember Todd going, what are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, you're in New York, man. Like, you know, like, yeah, you're going to move on, Rich, kind of. Like, he didn't say <laughs> that, but that's what he was saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyways, so we became, yeah, so then like, when I got that opportunity, I played nine out of the ten games, and now I, get, I remember I was getting a chance. And then, yeah. Uh, but I was still kind of, and there's your, you know, you got to have, my mentality was then that, well, now I, I don't want to go back to PA. I want to play for the Islanders, right? And I'm going to do everything I can to play for. Them. So I had become now, it was me and Dean Chanel. Dean was obviously their first round pick, so he was going to get every chance, right? Right. And, um, Kenny Leiter retired during training camp, and that's what kind of springboarded was springboarded myself now into the mix, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, that's basically how it started. And then Dean and I became, you know, Dean and I still talk, uh, you know, we, we, we've reconnected here a lot lately in the last couple of years. And, uh, but him and I became roommates at the, Edmund, like Warren and Pat Amendola, who's still in Victoriaville. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know any of that story or... Go for it, man. Oh, well, anyway, so I'm the... I'm Dean's competition, yeah. Dean is a more polished guy, mm-hmm. I'm just me, and I remember Terry bringing us into the office saying, okay guys, you know, um, you're both fighting for the one spot, but we believe we're going to keep you guys, And uh, but we don't want you to stay, we want to get you guys out of the hotel, and you're going to go live with um, Pat Moore and Amendola, and that's where Bobby Basson stayed, Brian Troche stayed, uh, Jojo Parisi stayed, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I said, okay, so Eddie goes, uh, the, Mr. is actually going to be picking you guys up here in about an hour. Um, I'm like, perfect. I'm just, ha- well, Dean is not happy because, what do you mean he's got to go live with a family? Like, really, you know what I mean? And the yeah. reason was because whoever's not staying is going down to the minors, but you may come up. So Terry's, and Mr. Tory were like, you don't have to cut any bills off. You don't have to worry about anything. You just got to pack your clothes and leave. Right. Right? And so Mr. Amadola picks us up. And he picks us up in his Cadillac, his big Cadillac.
0: Yeah.
1: And he's got a big German Shepherd in the car. And it's fucking hot up. Like, it's mm-hmm. September in New York, right? Yeah. Muggy. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm very polite, I guess. I've always been. I still, to this day, preach that, even with my own kids and even the players around me. And, you know, just showing, even though I may want to sit in the front, I'm always going to offer you want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we, we start walking the cart, and fucking Chinny just opens up the door and fucking sits in the front. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the back with this fucking German Shepherd, and it's fucking sweat, it's hot, it's got, you know, drool. Yeah. I'm like, what an asshole. <laughs> like, we're going to be freaking roommates, him and I. But I'm thinking in my head, Adam yeah. in the back seat. So we drive to, we're driving in Mr. Amendola. Uh, super good man, right? Yeah. So we come to, the, we start driving. We're going into Lloyd, they lived in Lloyd Harbor. Mm-hmm. And we start driving and I'm like, holy jeez, there's some big homes out here. <laughs>
0: yeah, oh yeah.
1: And they had a ranch style and it was, it was longer than a skating rink. Because I remember sitting there going, that's where we're living? Is that where you live, Warren? Mr. Amendola? And he goes, yeah, you can, you can call me Warren. And I said, no, I'll, I'm, I called him Mr. Amendola. I still do this day, right? Yeah. And Mr. Amendola, I go, that's the house we're living in? I go, that's bigger than the rink. That's longer than the rink. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we get in, we meet Pat, take off our shoes, and she says, well, that's an insult. Because Take it off your you, shoes. Yeah, you leave your shoes. You leave your shoes on. She said to us. Okay. It was to her, and we're like, kind of. I didn't know that, right? Because yeah. basically, you're saying that you're you should have whatever. That's just there. So we can leave our shoes on, and we're walking, and I'm like, she shows us our. She, we meet her, show us our room. You know, Dean and I had two rooms beside of each other, and. Uh, yeah, they and then we you know, we sit down and and, and Pat's like Warren or Pat and Warner are like, Well we're gonna we'll lost two hundred dollars a month from you guys.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I used to take out my first year, so I was making I think eighty five thousand or ninety thousand. Eighty five or ninety around there. I think it was eighty five actually. Mm-hmm. But I had a bonus, whatever it was and, and I remember sitting there I used to go to the bank there and I used to put take out $300. Mm-hmm. 200 for my rent. <laughs> and I used to keep the 100 for the next... That lasted me a whole two weeks. Wow. Oh, yeah. Didn't wow. spend a dime my first year. Ate every... Ate all. I'd never ate out. Ate. So, here's some really funny stories now about my not being naive. and So, Chinny and I became really good friends through all this, right? He got, though, because of his mishap of being, getting hurt. and yeah. Getting that that, you know, he got shin disease, whatever he had, and mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity to become a regular, and, you know, his misfortune created, I guess, opportunity for me, right? Yep. And, but every, so when we sat down with Pat, when we when we were there now, we're living there, and, of course, you know, the rules, and, and this is so funny, so we're sitting there, and, and uh, Pat goes, well, every Monday's family night, so you guys will both be expected to sit with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, the sons come over, so and, and Rick Amendola, their youngest, had just gone through a divorce. So he was back at home. Okay. Well so basically they had three like adult guys living with them, right? Right. And so Monday's family night. Tuesday was Pat Cooked also. Wednesday I believe was poker and bridge night for the for Pat and Warren. So they went and did their with their friends, right? Mm -hmm. So we were on our own. Thursday was she would cook, and then Friday was Piccolo's. Pizza. If we were home.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay? And then we usually, so a lot of times we played on the weekend, but when we, so so now Pat Warren protected me from Dean because (laughs) I was just, you know, every Monday was like, I, the first Monday dinner, I was like, like I I, I raced to eat and leave the table, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now, our family nights, so Pat, you'll be expected to be in the kitchen by 5, 4.35. Well, guess what time dinner was over at? Like, like 9. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am, like, twiddling my thumb. I'm like, oh, my God, this is painful, right? <laughs> and guess what I missed? By the end. Yeah. You missed those but, dinners? Oh, they, because Pat started cooking, uh-huh. and she would serve the salad with her, you know, and it, it missed, and everybody would tell stories, and uh-huh. Chinny would bug me. It became a real awesome family name. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. They're
0: Italians, and, and we're, we're good people, so what can you say?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it was freaking awesome. I remember, uh, br- uh it wasn't bruschetta, but... It's what's what's the the meat that you wrap that's you you layer and you tie with a string.
0: That I don't know because I don't prepare. I just
1: eat. Well, whatever that was. So I have a like I have a I, I believe I have a soft heart, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember eating this this meal we were having, and I'm like, oh my god, Pat forgot the string in the meat. <laughs> she made a she did an oopsie. <laughs> so I'm trying to pull the string out without anybody noticing me but meanwhile Pat I mean Warren's watching me <laughs> <laughs> well I'm trying to be like Jesus how do I get the string out of this freaking meat like I can't believe she did this
2: right <laughs>
1: <laughs> and anyways Warren's like uh, Rich uh, you worried about that piece of string I'm like and I don't say anything and Pat starts laughing mm-hmm. and she's like well Rich, we have to tie it so the meat doesn't open up when we cook when I cook it yeah. She would just pull it out. I'm like, Oh God, thank God. I was like I, I feel bad for it, right? <laughs> so there was that and then my first night at Piccolo's was well, that was another like I just think of the stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. They, they they must have talked to this for years because I, I tell stories because I'd never fine dined. I'd never been you know, my, my our night out was KFC and McDonalds. Yeah. Goodbye. That was it. Never at a restaurant. If we I like, I don't ever remember being in a restaurant, ever.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And we go to Piccolos, and you know they don't give you a menu; they just wrap it all off. And I'm sitting there going, "Well, I have no idea." what you know, it's all Italian food. I have you know. Have you ever eaten at Piccolos, by the way? No, uh, the Piccolos oh.
0: are, Piccolos around here is like a pizzeria. It's not a fine restaurant. It's good food, but it's not a fine dining restaurant.
1: Yeah, this was this was Piccolos. Like it was one of the best on the island. It was rated like way up there. Yeah, and. I order. Pat Warren said he's gonna order for me, so they order like all these desserts. This uh, you know cooked eggplant, you know you suck the leaves out, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, calamari. So I'm looking at the food and and I grab the the calamari and I'm like, "Is this octopus? (laughs) Because of the tentacles, is this baby octopus?" And and Warren goes. No, no, it's a sea vegetable. I go what? He goes, it's a sea vegetable. I said, it looks like octopus. Like it's got tentacles. Look, look like it's got like it looks like an octopus. <laughs> and Warrens go, Rich, it's it's a sea vegetable. Why don't you try it and then decide if you like it? Well, I absolutely loved <laughs> calamari. Right? Mm-hmm. And I never knew I was eating calamari for probably half of that my hockey season.
0: You thought it was a sea vegetable.
1: I thought it was a sea vegetable because I wouldn't have ate it if I'd known it was squid. Right. Right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that happens. And that, so that was the big joke now after, which is funny, right? That's just, it's cute, right? Yeah, yeah. So then the guy brings dessert. And you know what? They, like, it's apple out of I grab the plate right off the thing put it in front of me and I start scooping like no man like I don't really have manners that way right it's eating time we're fucking eating that mm-hmm. and he went to stop me and I'm like oh my god this is the best apple pie I've ever had well meanwhile it's been sitting on that tray for how long they probably got hairspray on
0: it oh shit you ate like the, <laughs> the sample or whatever it is to show the sample oh god <laughs>
1: <laughs> <The> sample. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck oh yeah oh my god oh god yeah so, Ooh. anyways, so, but obviously, as time, you know, moves on and you, you, you adapt and you learn more and I used to look forward to obviously the Mondays and the Friday nights with the, with the Amandola, they were awesome. So,
0: wow, that's great. That's great stuff. Yeah. So, so we're going to, we're going to go to your, uh, to your first season with the Islanders. So now you've made the team and Terry Simpson is the coach who you've had, you had a little bit of experience with, uh, for that, uh, those six games with Prince Albert. So, uh. And I think uh, had Rick Wilson made the jump to the Islanders also from, from yeah, did, yeah so yeah, did that did. make the transition a little easier for you having those familiar faces?
1: Yes, it did like Terry got fired my first year yeah man, right mm-hmm. yeah yeah, he did. I remember that because uh, I I was having a great doing well until t- till till uh, Terry got fired and then when Al came in. You know, my first year, obviously, scoring, you know, I didn't score my first goal for a long time, but right. you know, I remember my game in, in L.A. where I, you know, you're playing against Gretzky, and that whole, that was just crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting there, because Gretzky had been traded. So, I guess, you know, mo- I guess, I don't know if you're going to ask this question, but moments, you know, you're, you're obviously, your first real NHL game, right? Mm-hmm. And we always started in the West Coast there yep. at that time for team building and whatever else, and I remember just sitting on that blue line, and I started the game, when and Gretzky was on the other side, and I was just... I went from being like, I'm here and hair standing on my back of my neck to going, oh, my God, that's Gretzky, mm-hmm. and just crapping my pants. <laughs> I'm sure it's, you're not the only one. And you know what? In that game, because I tried to hit him, because I had to fight Bobby Sordy that game, and I fought Jay Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mick thought I was trying to take his job. Is that right? Yeah, Mick thought I was trying to take his job. He was like, what are you doing? You're, are you trying to take my job? <laughs> I'm like, they're coming after me because I went, because in the, with either the, I think it was the, right down the first. freaking Gretzky, we were on the, we were on the power play, they were on PK, and he had the puck for like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And was going in and out of the neutral zone, and I looked at Nordia, I'm like, oh my God, he is awesome. And I got <laughs> a whack of the back of the head from Simso. <laughs> he goes, he's not on our fucking team, Rich. <laughs> now I'm like, uh-oh, I gotta, like, make this up now. Yeah. So I'm gonna take a run at him, obviously, and that's what I did. And then all of a sudden I had to fight. It wasn't really a fight in the story. Jay Miller and I had a good fight. and yeah. And then, um, yeah, that was kind of the start of my first game. That was my first ever game. It was awesome. And your first... Uh
0: so you also fought uh, Andrew McBain? I think that was at the Coliseum.
1: Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This kind of, you know, I I don't I would never consider myself a heavy like I'm not a heavyweight like right. you know mix a heavyweight, bomber the heavyweight. I I fought like some of the you know like, you know I I, I because of my style and and being a shutdown defenseman, you know I I ended up playing against like the first or second line guy they're the shutdown guy right yeah so now because I'm abusing those guys all of a sudden they're sending guys after me and and then you know as I learned you know and this is part that you miss in the game is out of respect for certain guys who I I had a lot of respect for like I would fight right mm-hmm. and some guys I guess wouldn't and you know you know my whole thing as a player was that if I can rattle their you know, rattle them so bad that all they do is focus on trying to take my head off. Mm. Hopefully, it gives us a better chance to win. That was my thinking. All right. So abuse the top guys as much as you can. Be hard on them. Cross check them. Do whatever you got to do. And you don't really have to fight the heavyweights when you have to, but you can kind of pick and choose. But out of respect for certain guys, you always sometimes I, I definitely drop the mitch just to give them that right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, in a game you in a game against Philly. Um, now, obviously, you talked about your friendship with uh, with Dean Chanel. Now, you fought Rick Tockett, and I believe that was the first game after he had gouged uh, Dino's eyes. Um, did that have anything to do with the fight, or it was just a consequence of the game?
1: No, that was that was because of that. Yeah, that was because of Dean. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. That's what I figured. And then later in that game, you fought Craig Berubian did very well. So for a guy who's not uh, who's a self-proclaimed non-heavyweight, uh, you fought two pretty tough guys in the same game, uh, and you did pretty well.
1: Yeah, you know, I, it wasn't that, you know, the biggest thing was fighting. And, you know, I got a son now that plays, and he got into his first fight ever, like, this year. Yeah. And I was scared for him. Honestly, I was just, oh, my God, he's going to get hurt. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so, because he he's never been in a fight. I've been fighting since, you know, I've been fighting since I've been 10 years, 8 years old, man. I've been in schoolyard fights to right. get beat up by older guys to... You know, being a you know at fifth you know I started drinking at thirteen, mm-hmm. you know like in my hometown drinking, you know and then slowed down a lot from the time I was fifteen to twenty till I made the NHL. Like I really managed it, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, and obviously I haven't drank now. I don't know if you know that, but I haven't drank now. It's been God since 04.
0: Yeah, I wasn't sure when when you stopped, but I know that uh, I know that you had some issues, but that you've been sober for a while.
1: Yeah, a long time now. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, like you're, yeah. So I I. Fought those guys, but I, but I I enjoyed fighting. Mm -hmm. It's a rush, like it's a bit of a, like it's not a rush when you get the shit kicked out of you. Yeah. But you know, I where I've absolutely got the crap kicked out of me was Chris McAllister. is probably the only guy that absolutely kicked the crap out of me.
0: Yeah, he did well in that fight.
1: And then Eric kind of did the one fight. You know, Eric and I Mm -hmm. fought quite a few times, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the fights he actually got me at the end of a shift, Mm -hmm. and I remember I just had nothing left, right? Yeah. So yeah but and
0: going back to one of the things you said about your playing against you know the top line or the top two lines it shows in the guys that you fought because while you fought a jay miller and a Jake caulfield and a rick talking and a craig ruby you also fought guys like ulf dollin which i don't know what he was thinking uh also yeah. bobby smith challenged you in, in a fight so i guess that's just a residual effect of some of these guys they don't know you you're a rookie and you're you're busted in their balls and everything. So yeah. and yeah. Bobby Smith was he was a great all around player, but I guess he finally had enough and he challenged you, which again was not a smart move on his part.
1: No, <laughs> I you
0: KO didn't I? Uh, basically, I don't know if he it was a KO yeah. or a TKO, but uh, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, it was
1: a TKO, wasn't a KO? with a TKO? He he got his bell wrong. I remember that he yeah. dropped. And and yeah. so.
0: That season you set the single season rookie penalty minute for the Islanders which still stands and I guarantee will never be broken with the no. way the uh, the game is uh, I'm sure you knew that I don't know if you knew that's the seventh highest single season total in the team history it was it was higher it's been passed by a few guys since then but it's yep. still the seventh single season seventh highest se- single season total in the team history so you're still top ten in that so uh, um what was your take on the? It was your first taste of the Islander Ranger rivalry? What was that like?
1: Uh, well, we did it. You know what? in in our In our exhibition games, like we we played right in the yeah. in blue and white, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it was that, It was well. The games took forever because all it was was fights. Yeah, it was a complete fucking cage match. Yeah, and it kind of carried on all those. You know, you know the Ranger Islander rivalry is just. It's, I, it's, it's not, I don't even know how you can explain it to people. Because I don't know if there's ever been, is there any, ever been a rivalry like that ever?
0: I mean, to me, when I was growing up, there were three in hockey. It was Islanders Rangers, which of course I'm partial to. I did yeah. love Quebec, Montreal, and also Calgary, Edmonton. So, I mean, growing up, at I would three. Yeah, those would
1: be the yeah, three. You
0: those would make, be yeah. the three. I know, like, the old Norris division, the, all those teams kind of like round robin each other in, in the rivalries. But, you know, for me, those were the big three. And um, Quebec was actually always my second favorite team. So I did enjoy that rivalry with Montreal. But for me, nothing beats Islanders Rangers. Well, yeah,
1: the, you know, the difference, too, like. I can tell you there wasn't a lot like at the Ranger Island. there there was fights in the stands
0: oh yeah yeah.
1: by the end of the third period I remember we'd be by the last 10 minutes of the game guys were surveying up in the stand because there was fights going on all over
0: oh absolutely awesome. absolutely yeah, it was awesome, mm-hmm. it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> how, yeah, much, how much how much fun was that first season with you and Mick establishing yourselves
1: oh it was you know what it's just you know you're, you're doing the, the thing is you're you're getting paid to, to do something that you probably thought would never ever happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So now that you're part of a, um, you know, I explained this to, even to my players today that I coach and to my son even a little bit. You know, whether you, and this is the, uh, I believe, like even within the league that we coach and the envy that we sometimes, as NHLers, get labeled is because of when you're when you're when you're part of a very small percent for years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're pretty fortunate to be able to play the game you love and, and to be able to get paid for it. Um, but now, to when you come back to these towns, I find a or cities that we, you know, it's not like it used to be where guys don't come back anymore to their hometown because you know guys are just making too much money right yeah and they go to Florida and they go wherever and um you know when we came back you know partly because that's just what we did I don't even know why we did but it was just that's what it was right Mm -hmm. it was a lifestyle that everybody came back couldn't wait to get home to Saskatchewan when you were done hockey and but it yeah I think it's there's just when you're when you're part of being able to do something you love to do and get paid to do it and for years and and learn and get to be around. You know, you meet. You, you know, hockey is 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 a vehicle. It's it's everything to you know relationships to. It's it's business. It really is. You know, like and in the friendships that you make along the way. And my one of my things is that I I'm just not good at keeping in contact with everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I just I was kind of you know. When you know, when I look back and I think, geez, why wouldn't I got sticks signed by Bossy? Why would I never did any of that? Yeah. And as much of that was a, a fan of them, it, I I never did that, and I don't know why I never did. Like you know, like um, you know, it's like my son, like Garrett, even with with Mark, right, being around Mark and you know, and, and giving his stick away here in Saskatoon, Jesus, mm-hmm. like just you know, yeah, just crazy stuff. But you become part of that group where a small percent, and I and I explain it like this to people that. Whether I like it or not, we're considered high achievers if you play in the NHL. Would you agree? Absolutely. So being a high achiever as a player, um, now as probably a a dad even somewhat, right? Mm. Um, uh, Husband, you become, I believe, I took things for granted as life went on, right? I got myself into a a pickle a few times, right? Yeah. And, you know... um, you you, because of being a high achiever now as a coach and I tell this to my young guys and I tell this to their parents I don't like mediocre people Yeah. and mediocre people don't like me because I'm detailed and I want to get the right people on the bus now as a GM and a coach mm-hmm. so whether I like it or not usually once I put my mind to something and I get all in and committed I go to another level that most people probably have never been to if that makes any sense i'm not trying to be arrogant about it but no it you know it's even like now i'm doing a 45-day challenge right okay and i'm working out with my son and i'm 52 and you know he's 22 mm-hmm. and the bike ride that i started like six weeks ago now so i just started the 45-day on the weekend mm-hmm. because i my weight had gotten ballooned i became there was two of me so i'm trying to get rid of one of you now <laughs> good idea <laughs> so but i'm seeing his workout and i kind of want to give my two cents but you know he's got to find his own way a little bit and i try and guide him and point him a little bit in the right direction but yeah. you know he's got to do more you know what i mean plain and simple yeah no that's good
0: that's good um when you when you came back for your second season now your first season you know like say you got drafted out of, really, you know, the, the midget Raiders. Uh, you end up, you know, really your first season that you would have gone back as an overager. You end up staying with the Islanders, played 62 games. When you yep. came back to camp the second year, did you, not Not that you were comfortable, but did you feel like you did enough where you had a spot and it was yours to lose?
1: Oh, I yeah, I was always petrified of losing my spot.
0: Yeah.
1: I was on a two-way contract for 10 years.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: I never ever asked for a one way. Okay. I just, you know what? And I never got my one way until Milton Mike gave it to me when I was unrestricted. I was going to be unrestricted. Yeah. And I never even asked for it. The only thing I asked for was my own room. <laughs> Finally, right? Yeah, because I because I I had I always had no I always had my own room, um, with the Islanders right from the time I was my first year pro. Oh, okay. Because I was going through roommates because I snore so bad. <laughs> so then I remember Al telling me, like, so I finally went to Al and Darcy with Gear was there, right? Mm-hmm. And I would just said, you know, like, I've always got a different roommate. I go, is it possible that I could just have one guy? Because you, you're trying to create a routine, right? Yeah. Well, now when you're a different guy, it's hard to get a routine when you're a different guy every road trip. Right. So Al just said to hell with it and gave me my own room. Oh, it's not a bad thing. Snoring no, worked trot, out for you. No, <laughs> Trot, Remember, Trotch was put out and Brent Sutter. They're a little bit put out, right?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Rich has got his own room and everybody <laughs> else is bugged up <laughs> together.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So I, the only reason I asked for it with Mike was because I thought I was going to get traded, so I didn't want to go through the process, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I did anyway when I went to the Rangers. That's another funny story when we get there. Okay. Yeah.
0: So that second season, obviously... Um, it really is defined by one thing, and that was the unfortunate eye injury that really, uh, yeah, um, you know, not defined the, your your path. But uh, what do you remember about that game against Detroit?
1: Well, I, I well I remember. Oh Jesus! I, miss, I remember sitting in the hospital after well, once you got hit. Like you know, what's bad when you know the doctors kind of open your eye up and they go, "Okay, we got to get him to the ambulance. We got to get him to the hospital, I'm like now." And I remember getting to the hospital, and sitting in the on that table, and I still had my equipment on, and the doctors weren't far enough away that I could hear them. Okay. And there was two of them, and they were going to take the eye. Oh shit! And I was like, "Holy fuck!" But I didn't, but I was. I remember sitting there going, "Please God, please don't like just please don't let him take my eye. Like I don't want to lose my eye." Yeah. And. Because they were worried because the pressure was so high in it that you're, you know, obviously your eyes were looking sync, sink, right? Yeah. And if it would have like basically popped, I guess, whatever you want to call it, because of the pressure, mm-hmm. it could affect my good eye. So they were going to take it. Mm-hmm. And they end up, the doctor said, the one doctor would say, well, let's let it sit for another hour or two and see if we can get the pressure. We'll, we'll start going down on it. And mm-hmm. so I would end up being, yeah, so i end up being in the hospital there for... 10 days, I think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then, obviously, I knew I had a vision problem, right? So, um, you know, I remember I remember my I had an Italian guy that was my roommate at, uh, what, what's the, the hospital? It, it's Winthrop? Is it Winthrop? Yep. On the other, Winthrop? That's where I yep. was. I believe mm-hmm. that's where it was at Winthrop. That's where I was. So I was there for 10 days. And, and I remember I used to get the, because the, I was the only second year. I was still young, right? Yeah. And, you know... I still didn't know that my career was in jeopardy when I was in the hospital. I just thought I had an eye injury. And I thought my eye was going to get better. Yeah. But you know I couldn't even pour a glass of you know water to myself because I'd spill because I because my depth perception was gone. Right. Right. I lost my I lost all my central vision. And um, the guy Tony beside me, he was, his, his family owned a deli, so they used to bring him like chicken parm heroes every night or every other night, whatever it was. Yeah. And. And Tony and I used to talk in the family because I had nobody. was I had nobody there, right? Yeah, no family or nothing. And so they kind of felt bad for me, and they'd bring me their, you know. They'd bring me food. It was awesome. I was gonna say. <laughs> so
0: you're putting on the pounds while you're trying to heal.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> it obviously came out, and then found out where I was. And I remember Dean telling me, like Chitty telling me, one day, like I was, I, I, you know, I was still very young and very naive to everything, and. You know, I think I was, I still believed I was going to play, right? Mm-hmm. I remember Dean telling me, we were at the, at, uh, we were staying uh, with now Rick Amendola, which was the son of Pat and Warren.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: had bought a house and Dean and I moved in with him and um, we were sitting at the house and Dean was like, Rich, do you know that, like, how bad your eye is? And I'm like, well, I've, you know, I have not think I get approval, but I—you know, like, I don't think they think you're going to play ever again. Oh, shit. Yeah, and I'm like, really? He's like, he goes, you better get your agent on it and just find out what's going on. Wow. (laughs) So now I'm like, so anyways, I end up now um, basically, uh, yeah, going through that whole process of seeing six doctors. And doctor number seven was the one that cleared me. Wow. Wow. And this is what happened. So I would go see a doctor. Now I started to panic because I started seeing doctors now, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it was right at the end of the year. The season was ending and I hadn't been cleared yet, right? Mm-hmm. And Ed Tyberski was our head trainer and, you know, Dr. Minkoff and, and uh, I think it was Gary was the other one. Um, you know, I go see a doctor, and they would say no. And then I would see another doctor; they'd say no. And I'm like, "Well, Jesus!" So, and the reason they were saying no, they weren't worried about me losing my eye or my other eye. Mm-hmm. It was, more you know, the whole I mean, if I poke somebody else's eye out and they sue me because I didn't see it, right? right? Mm-hmm. And it, you know, the shit rolls downhill, and all of a sudden now, yeah. doing the doctors, and so no doctor was willing to put their practice at risk right. with me. Really is what it was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I finally said to Eddie, I remember sitting there and I was talking to my agent Art, and I said, I just gotta see somebody that doesn't know who I am, right. doesn't have my like my folder of information when I get there, and they already have an answer before I even get there. Right. So I went into I and Eddie goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd like to just find my own guy. And I went into the. I remember me and Art and Art said, well, just look in the phone book. Yeah start going through the phone book and I find a place in New York City doctor jeez what was his name now I can't remember his I should remember his name because he cleared me anyways I go down to him and his freaking his glasses were thicker than coke box. <laughs> and he's an eye doctor <laughs> I get and I get in there and I do all this peripheral test and I tell him that I've got a scar in my eye, on my central, behind my optic nerve, It's ahead had, you know, so I, might, I don't got any, I got peripheral vision, and he starts doing all the tests, and he goes, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an athlete, and he goes, what do you do? And I said, I play hockey. I want to be a hockey player. I play hockey for the Islanders. He goes, okay, he goes, you're a professional player. I said, well, I am, but I said, I need clearance to play. He goes, well, why have no one given you clearance? Oh. I said, I don't know. He goes, well, I cleared Wesley Walker. Oh, no kidding. He cleared Wesley Fucking Walker. Can you fucking believe that?
0: You is went that to the right guy.
1: Is that not fate? Yeah, really. I picked that guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. How, like, what are the fucking chances? It's like
0: it's uh, that's actually pretty crazy that you just that picked the guy in the crazy. phone book. Yeah.
1: Yep, yeah, and he ended up clearing me, and then you know obviously it's history after I had to wear a visor. I had to wear a visor mm-hmm. for insurance purposes, but I was cleared to play, and then. Well now the Islanders are like, what? you can play, <laughs> right? Now what? So it wasn't it wasn't even the end of the year yet because I wanted to skate and so they wanted to put me in rock Do you know any of this part or no? Probably not. No, nope. right? no. Nope. Well, fuck, you like this? So, uh, Jesus, fuck! I got story after story. They always keep, tell me to write a book. Keep going, uh, man. Keep going. And I fucking get so now I get cleared. And they're thinking because my depth perception—I remember the doc. I got, I'm gonna have to find out his name. He he said you're gonna have to work on your on your hand eye. But what'll happen, Rich? Your good eye is gonna start compensating for your bad eye, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna end up. You know, you're never gonna be able to play like racquetball or anything like that because it's just your perception is not gonna be quick enough. But it'll take time, mm-hmm. right? But he goes, just you know, if you could play tennis or something. So that was a, so I went back to Eddie. And I said, you know, they they said I should play tennis.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> tennis. Tennis.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, you know the Syosset, uh Country Club or yeah. the, club, the, the 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 tennis academy yeah. there. Mm-hmm. It's huge, right? Yeah. So Eddie, they do some. You know, they start the doctors get together and whatever. Eddie and this is my this is what we're gonna plan. We're gonna get them doing working on a depth reception, he can start skating once he gets a little bit, he can do workout now, he can do all the things, if pressure doesn't go up, blah, blah, blah. And there's and there's more to this stuff. Anyways, so, I go to Syosset, I'm booked to meet this guy, his name is, uh, God. He's, uh John what? John, what was his last name? Anyways, he meets me, he's all excited to meet me, because I'm a ex, you know, I'm an islander, right? Mm-hmm. I meet him, and Super nice guy, but a bit on the like feminine side, right? Yeah. So I ended up calling him after you know, and we his nickname and him, and he called me like he called me Rich, but I always called him Beth, right? <laughs> so the first day we go, we go out there, and he's excited, and he's in his in his tracksuit. <laughs> I'm in shorts. I got blue shorts, an Islander t-shirt. You know, I got my <laughs> socks pulled up to my top of my cap.
0: Oh, I wish there were pictures.
1: Oh, and I get in there, and he gives me a rocket. He goes on the other side, and we start hitting the ball back and forth. And I can't hit the, I can't hit the fucking ball. And he is, you know, you think about, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very uh, throwing his hands up in the Animated. Head. Animated and mm-hmm. he's like, "What the fuck have I got here?" <laughs> I thought you were an athlete. That's the impression. He's he's like he's stressed right out. Yeah. We do this for like 15 minutes. I'm supposed to be there for an hour. He goes, "I can't do this anymore." <laughs> and I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I need a break." <laughs> I said, "Okay." He goes, "No, you just just leave and come back on Wednesday." No kidding. Goes, so I fucking leave. Yeah. With my tail between my legs feeling like shit. Yeah. Right? Because now I look like I have... I just... I basically just uh, embarrassed myself, right? Yeah. So I come back on Wednesday, and, you know, the academy's used. Like, that Siasa Academy's freaking used. Yeah. Like, there's courts all over. hmm I was looking for court. I think it was 21 or 22 or something. Mm-hmm. And... You know, the first day, John meets me right at the front and escorts me to the court. Hmm. I'm like, uh, I'm here to meet John. They're like, John, so John's they're pro, right? Yeah. So John, I'm like, well, where is he? And they go, well, he's in court. He's at court, uh, I think he's at 21 or 22. I'm like, well, where's that? And they're like, well, you go down here, and I'm like, it's like a maze. Yeah. I can't find anything. I can't find him. Well, I come and I finally kept finding him, and he's sitting on a ch- in a chair in the middle of the court, like one of the sides. Yeah. And he's got all those, ball, what do you call those ball things to keep the tennis thing, ball rocks, whatever they are?
0: Yeah, well, I don't play tennis, so I just call it the ball basket or something.
1: Ball basket? Yeah. He's got, like, at least ten of them around his chair. Yeah. And I'm like, I walk up, I'm like, hey, John, I have to go any of oh, you they good, good, rich. to be... Been- he goes, you haven't left my mind since you left here. <laughs> he goes, buddy goes, you know what? I said I was going to work with you. I've worked with the best. And this is just going to be another challenge for me.
0: Okay. So guess
1: what he coached? What? Yvonne Lendl, Agassi.
0: Oh, okay. So now he's working with the opposite.
1: He's working with the exact opposite. <laughs> so he had been with that group. He had been played a part in their development. Wow. Okay. So Beth, or John, like, give me a racket with no strings. Okay. And I look at him and I go, you're joking, right? He goes, no. He goes, Rich, you're going to stand about 10 feet from me here. I'm going to bounce the ball at you and then you're going to watch the ball go through your racket. Don't okay. take your eye off the ball. And he goes, we're going to do this for the next 45 minutes. We're going to work on your form, on what you got to turn, your hip. It's not just arms. Well, holy shit. Talk about a difference. Yeah. He goes, when we start playing, and I'm actually a pretty good tennis player now. Okay. Because of him, but he took it to a whole nother level. Like, he worked on my on my agility with these light that he worked with Lendl and Agassi on the court mm-hmm. to, to the point of taking his stuff. Like, he just took it to a whole he's – he's an elite coach. Yeah. You could tell by what he was doing with me.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, I even Mick came out a couple times.
0: Oh, that I wish I could see.
1: He fucking brought Mick out for shooting. Because we were using the sh- the the, the, the lights. Like, there were six lights, basically, in a briefcase. Yeah. And there was three on the top, three on the bottom. So if you stood in the middle of the court, you were either going straight ahead, straight back, to the right, to the left, or turn, go to the corners, right? hmm And you had to react to these lights. And it was a fucking workout.
0: It sounds like it.
1: And you have to come back to center all the time. Well, what do you think my whole fucking game is? Turning. Yeah. So, this whole motion of the crossover, then turn. Mm-hmm. Well, he got me turning, pivoting like nobody's business. That's why a lot of times I never got beat wide. I attribute that to with with uh, with Bet with John. Yeah. Being the way he was, like he helped me with that, and then obviously tried to make me a better shooter, and you know he put. He put the briefcase behind the net, and with pick half of the net or top shelf bottom. So I became actually, you know, as much as I, you know, I tell like my strength as a player was my first pass mm-hmm. as a D man, and that's the most important pass in hockey. You know, like if it's that first pass doesn't is not a good pass. Yeah. You know, obviously you have the a D man you want options, but um, you know Darcy Regier even with Al. You know, going out 15, 20 minutes early every day as, as a first year. And all I did was backwards, pivot, open up, shoulder check, look for Darcy and make a pass on his tape. I did that for my whole first year. Hmm. And continued that for many years after. Yeah. So, yeah. So, funny story, man. But yeah, John just helped me. and yeah, became actually not a bad test player. And, yeah, it was awesome. I'll step we got back into playing and had to wear a visor the visor actually worked to my advantage as I played because now guys that didn't know anything were like oh he's just he can't be tough he's wearing a visor right yeah. mm-hmm. or you're hiding behind a lot of people didn't know that you know even like Don I remember Ron McLean and Don Cherry and yeah. didn't even, they didn't know that I had to wear a visor right,
0: right. they
1: didn't know that I had that lost all my central vision like you know if I lose the vision in my good eye right now I'm, being, I'm blind yeah I'm basically screwed, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. What I was going to ask you now, going into the next season, how difficult was it adjusting to the visor? Because I imagine you hadn't worn a visor since junior, right?
1: Yeah, so it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Honestly, you know, and I had I couldn't wear a small visor. I had to wear like a, almost like a full eye tech a little bit that came down to my nose. Yeah. And and partly, so when I look back now, like, you, you think about the chance, I guess, as a, you know, you're, play in the game and you remove your helmet mm-hmm. to fight Yeah. like if I've got my eye so I actually <clears throat> um, I tried to change even and go a little bit more left after a while mm-hmm. because I was always trying to put to make to lead with to, to show my bad eye instead of my good eye
0: right because
1: mm-hmm. if I went right I was now exposing more of that eye right yeah so I had to kind of, so I kind of became more of a lefty after a while, southpaw, which actually is worth to your advantage anyway. Definitely. Now your yeah.
0: f- your first fight that season was actually against someone we talked about already, Jay Miller. Um, going into going into the season, knowing, you know, you're wearing the visor and everything, but I guess in the back of back of your mind, you know, you're going to have to fight at some point. It's just with the way you play, it's going to happen. Um, was there? Were you hesitant about that? Was there any trepidation? And when it was finally over, and you said, "Okay, I'm good," like was it a, was it like a big relief?
1: Um, no, you know what it wasn't. I, I can't, You know, honestly, it was. I'd never crossed my mind. I, yeah. I was just happy to be playing again. Yeah, that was more than anything. It was I was basically it's. You know, I went from almost losing uh, the game itself. You know, to being able to just play again. So there was no hesitation on the fighting and I know I remember Eddie, the trainer, telling me to, to try and manage myself a bit better, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you really can't. Once yeah. you get in the heat of the moment, you're playing the game, you forget about all that stuff of what to manage and you know what I mean? I'm sure if you talk to Eddie, a lot of players, once the emotion sets in and all everything else and it's really hard to uh, to do you know, to to sit there and say, Well, I'm, I'm gonna go whenever you start planning stuff, it's it's it doesn't usually turn out that way. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, But it was, yeah. Well, no, not at all. Just excited to be playing again. And it was just awesome to be able to wear an island New Jersey again, right? So, Oh, yeah. So, we talked about your first NHL game. We talked about your first <laughs> NHL
0: fight. We talked about your first NHL fight with the Visor. And now we get to talk about your first NHL goal in Edmonton. Tell me about that.
1: Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was like, first of all, it's like, I hope it happens soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? <laughs> and we had actually, my hometown had, or my, yeah, they actually had a bus. They basically brought a busload of people there. Yeah. So there's a whole busload, and, you know, Ray Ferraro made path from behind the net, right? And, yeah, it was just the best feeling in the world to kind of get the, you know, monkey off your back, I guess. Because mm-hmm. when Al took over... And here I forgot to go through this. Al, when Zimpel got fired, and then Al took over, Al cut all my ice time, and I lost all my confidence. And uh, Lucky Wills was still there, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, just I'll just kind of backtrack a little bit. And Al was trying. What Al told me was that um, I was mentally weak. So he didn't ever see me as an offensive guy in the league, which he was right, mm-hmm. right. I had a good start to my first year, and I had, you know, was feeling pretty good about myself, I guess. And he probably saw that too, and said, "No, you're not ready yet for this, right?" Mm-hmm. And I don't. And he wanted to make me defensive defense when he basically said to me, "It was you know, a two weeks in, I thought I was going to get sent down to the minors because of, of not playing and kind of being in." The, I, I think he took me out of the lineup even, and I was just devastated. And go to practice, he used to yell, "Pilon's going to fuck this pass up," and I'd go back and fuck up the pass, go again just on pins and needles. And so then I talked to Wilson. I remember I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't want to get sent down. I want to stay here, blah, blah, blah. And So then Al talked to me the next day, and he came up to me, and he said, Rich, he goes, uh, I think you're going to be a hell of a defenseman this week. But he goes, you're not going to be an offensive guy. I don't see you as an offensive guy. I see you as the guy, a shutdown guy. You goes, the guy that punishes, and able to play in that top two pairing, mm-hmm. but he goes, you are mentally not tough. You're gonna have to get mentally tougher. He goes, you don't hear me out here. When I yell at you, you don't hear me. You gotta tune me out. And it's not about trying to please me. It's about pleasing your teammates. This ain't about me. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. And I had turned into just wanting to please him because I want. And that's not. And that's why I tell players now. I said your job is not to, yeah. You, we give you guys guidelines, but your job is to make sure that your teammates are, are happy with you. Right. Really. Right. Mm-hmm. Not. You know. Yeah. We want the coach happy, but really, at the end of the day, you want you got to be you got to get. Where Where do you get the biggest respect? It's from your teammates. Yeah. When your teammates talk well of you and talk highly of you, well, that there's no better feeling in the world than that. Right. If we're seeing some shit now with that the that, that lipstick kid, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: what a piece of shit kid. Like, really? Yeah. Like, if, if that was my fucking kid... Oh, yeah. Um, if that was my fucking kid right now, I'd have him fucking by the fucking throat. Yeah. And I'd be kicking him in the ass. Yeah. Like, you know, the, so disrespect... Like, you know, like, like, I joke... Like, I joke about stuff. I was talking about this. You know, I joke about some stuff where I, you know... If I cross the line in, in our house, yeah, but I don't put anything in writing to the point. And I do it as a joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not joking. I don't give a shit what anybody says. He's yeah. not joking about that stuff. He actually feels that way. Yeah. Really, right? Yeah. So what well, so what Al try to do, Al tried try to say, listen, Rich, this is what you're gonna be? If you want to be a defensive defenseman, I said Al just tell me what you, you want me to do. Mhm. He goes, oh, Rich, he goes, You're gonna go from basically your our, our own end, our D, our D zone, to the offensive zone, blue line. And he goes, you're going to, he goes, I don't want, I don't care if you score goals, I don't care if you're not in the power play, but you need to punish and take care of your own man. And he goes, if you want to learn, I'll teach you. And that was it. And he just took me under his wing, basically, with Darcy and, and Rick, and, and basically molded me kind of into a real defensive defenseman, punishing blue liner.
0: Uh, How, um. How difficult was it that first year? Uh, you already touched on the fact that uh, a lot of people didn't know that you needed to wear the visor, and now the people who knew knew you and knew your style. Now, um, you know, hockey players are not shy on the ice, throwing chirps around. Uh, how how frustrating was that? I'm sure you heard a lot of a lot of chirping the whole year about the visor. Um, how, how was that process uh, for you psychologically?
1: Fucking didn't bother me I
0: fucking sniff, man. Oh, okay.
1: I you know what I, I I was never a talker on the ice because I'm a ter- well I'm better at one-liners now but
0: mm-hmm.
1: as a player back then I I didn't have any one-liners yeah my only one-liner is fuck you <laughs> <laughs> it's effective and, and you know but I my biggest thing was that smiling at guys and kind of winking at them and giving the blow a kiss at them you know what I mean yeah mm-hmm. and just get under guys skin by just being dirty yeah you know playing. You know, beyond the rules, right, and getting away with it, right. Mm-hmm. That's what I became good at when, especially when there's only one ref, right. Yeah. And you know, but knowing that every time he stepped on the ice and when he took liberty that you know, you know, ups were like, fuck it. I remember like guys just telling me Kosher and these guys just were coming to get you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So I said, you know where I'll be. I said yeah. after the period, we're going to be back out here somewhere. So yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I never got you know what I I got chirped all the time though like you know not just you know obviously the chirping that happens now like, like you know I, I guess yeah there's crossing lines you know yeah. obviously we'll say stuff but when you get on the ice that's that's a little bit of the fun stuff too you know oh absolutely
0: mm-hmm. like it's
1: part of the, it's part of the you know like getting under guys skin like you know what I you know I, I had a kid this year that said he banged. This, other guy's uh, sister. Oh, shit. Another team. you <laughs> was saying that she was a brutal fuck. <laughs> so the guy was losing it. Oh, my God.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> uh. The kid got in trouble. Did he really? Yeah. What the fuck?
0: I'm not surprised. Oh. that Nowadays, I'm not surprised. Yeah,
1: like, you know, like... The, you know, he got a gross. a ref gave him a gross.
0: Yeah, wow, that's
1: crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, just, like, you know, when you start, I guess, cultures, it's now, that's, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, well, maybe with my sister, might be different, I guess, but. Well,
0: you'd also take care of it on the, you know, hey, someone says that about your sister, you're going to go try to run them through the boards. Yeah. So just don't. let them, handle it like men.
1: Yeah, they don't do it, that doesn't happen no. anymore, they it out anymore, Jesus.
0: Well, I think it was around this time in your career that you, you, got your, you got a place with a couple of your teammates, and I've heard some pretty good stories that I believe you used to live with Mick and Dave Chizowski. Yes, I did.
1: Yes, okay. and
0: uh, Mick has been a guest, and Chizzer has also been a guest. So I guess if, if you had to give me one great story about when the three of you lived together, if you had one that you had to tell someone that would sum up the time that you guys lived together, what would it be?
1: Um, I don't know if I can say this, actually. Well, I'm don't, trouble. don't, I'm it's not well, looking to
0: get anyone in trouble. It's not
1: bad, it's not bad. But I don't know what, what it was a funny story, because Chizer was so scared. Okay. Because what happened was, um, Chizzer was, had met a girl, right? Okay. And she had a boyfriend. Okay. And for whatever reason, this boyfriend found out where we lived. <laughs> and Mick and Marilyn, Marilyn was well Mick's ex-wife now, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, we're, we, we lived upstairs. And Chiser fucking came. Like this guy called him and said he was gonna like fucking come and get him. No shit. But, you know Chiser was eighteen years old. He was yeah. young, then, right? Yeah. He's fucking young. Yeah. He comes running up the stairs, and I guess fucking Mick was in the middle of you know what. <laughs> 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 And he barreled in, and he was going to sleep, them. <laughs> a fucking menage a trois, and Marilyn didn't even know he was in it. But I oh. didn't have a menage a trois. But no. <laughs> he, Mick said that him and Marilyn would go sleep downstairs. So then Mick and Marilyn went to sleep down in Chisier's bed, and
0: oh. <laughs> Chisier slept in their bed. <laughs> oh, my God. That Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good story. And,
1: and then what happened was Mick says, fuck Rich, he goes, I got downstairs and like my fucking heart started to pound. I'm like, what if I got what if that guy shows up? Yeah. Yeah, it was fucking funny. Did he ever like, show up? No, he never did. Oh okay. Good the crap out of children. He knew yeah, I never did, but yeah, but Mick was like also oh, Mr. Tough Guy, oh, yeah, I got this and then he gets <laughs> down and he's like, holy crap, like who knows, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, you never know. You, you just yeah. never know. Yeah
1: we we actually had a good you know and obviously me and you know, Chizer and I became good friends until yeah. we fought right? Yes. Yeah. And he, we fought, and then I remember Mick driving us home. We had to drive home all together. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't... You know, another thing, too, was... Like, did Mick talking, about those stories when I used to pick them up, him and Bobby Basson?
0: No, but Chisir did tell me that he beat both you and Mick in the fights, by the
1: way. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Chisir did. Well, <laughs> how could you miss that nose of him? <laughs> yeah. No, the, the good story
0: that Mick told me about you was, was how... You just were so intense in practice, and you just almost killed Palfi.
1: Oh yeah, a few guys that I like, did that. I did it too with the Rangers. Yeah, and I did it with Pat too, left on on him over because he always used to cheat on drills. Oh boy! But what they didn't know was that Al was the one that was putting me up to stuff.
0: Oh, is that right?
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. what Al would do, and now this is what I learned as a player, and after that, Al was really like he was awesome. Al was mm-hmm. just. So, Al, when you were losing, Al was, like, comforting. When you were winning, he was like a drill sergeant. Yeah. He was hard on you. So, what, I, what I've what learned from Al, you know, one of the best coaches of all time. Yes. And I remember talking to Al back after, you know, I get older, and he just said that. I remember him, and even, you know, like, the time to coach is when you're winning. That's when you can just press, mm-hmm. and you can push. When you're losing, it's all about picking them up you got to pick you up and you got to be the pattern on the back yeah you know some of the odd guy may need a kick in the ass but you know as a team you need to be kind of loved more you know what I mean yeah absolutely and you know the coaches that think they're, they're gonna punish like you know and that's one thing I learned here even at this level is punishing a team for losing is you want to lose a team do that yeah you know yeah, they got to yeah, know. know and I'm very transparent in my group and about stuff like that I, I, I tell them guys you know, I don't just make this shit up. You know, I, I throw, I name drop these guys because you should Google them if you don't know who they are. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. it gives me some validity with, with these players that, you know, you can't tell me what it takes to play a you game. Know, it's like my son. No, you can't. you No, there's only one fucking way you get to get an NHL. First of all, it's through you got to be gritty and you got to be willing to take a fucking beating sometimes. Yeah, of course. Doesn't matter if you're a goal scorer. At some point in your, in your career, if you want to play in the NHL, you got to know that you got to have some pushback.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. the good the, the guys that are just going to be ah, oh, I'm just going to cut the paycheck and get there. It's not going to happen for you. Yeah. And the only way you move up levels Because there's a lot of good hockey players now. Uh, even in our day, there was a lot of good hockey players and fast players. You know. Yep. Um, the the guys that were the guys that, you know, it's like were the guys that pushed back on you. That's what created the game. That's what made it fun. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, you know, with you know with Mick, I think in uh, going back to Mick and 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 my practicing, that was Al. Just I remember him coming to me if we'd be on a winning streak, he'd be like, like Ray would get a big head, right? Mm-hmm. And he'd be like Rich or, or Stumpy or Benoit Hogue. He'd be like, yeah, i like wake him up a little bit, get him them, get them to engage. Well, yeah. all I would do slew foot him or something. <laughs> now the war fight was on, yeah. right? Well, now they're competing again. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it was pretty neat That was awesome. He was good at just, he knew, he just knew how to push buttons.
0: Uh, one fight I want to ask you about this season that happened at the Garden. And uh, Troy Mallette had run yes. somebody into the board Yeah, I can't remember who it was and then he just he stood there and he was calling on anybody and then here you come like a bull just barreling into him well I mean do you remember
1: that incident yeah yeah I do yeah yeah Troy Mm Millette. yeah yeah he was just a big brute eh yeah it wasn't really tough he was just strong
0: yeah, he, fought, he would fight. I mean, I don't think he was a great fighter, but, uh, but
1: he did strong. fight. He yeah. yeah, he fought. He, you know what, Troy was the guy that, he, you know, he played hard, right? He yeah. wasn't, you know, he didn't, you know, he just played hard. Mm-hmm. He was a real fighter, like you said, but he played hard. And, yeah, we get, you know, there, just with the rivalry with the Rangers, like, man, it was just, it, it was fun going in the Garden. It was fun when they came to us. It was just, it's unexplainable, I mean, that kind of rivalry, how much fun it is.
0: Yeah, no. It's it was fun from my couch, so uh, I can't even imagine what it would be like. Uh, yeah, to be amazing. in the middle of it.
1: Getting ready for those games was just something else. Yeah. Now, in uh,
0: ninety-one, ninety-two, uh, early in the season, the team made two bitty, two pretty big trades. Uh, one with Buffalo, one with Chicago, and uh, I, the the one with Buffalo, uh, Patty Lafontaine was uh, was holding yep. out. They ended up making the trade with Buffalo, bringing Pierre and Benoit Hogue and uh, uh, Huey Krupp on board. The, the trade with Chicago brought uh, Steve Thomas and Adam Creighton. So pretty much 25% of the team after those two trades were new guys. Um, yeah. What? How does that? How did everyone yeah. kind of fit in the locker room? Because on the ice things seemed to go pretty well. So I'm assuming that everyone kind of clicked for the most part.
1: Yeah, like, that's what they
0: got Bursh too. Bark version came in that yes. day, didn't he? Yes, Yeah, and then there's Gary Nyland. No, and
1: actually, you know what? I'm
0: wrong. I think Bergevin was there already. I, I, I'm yeah. wrong about that, He's and so already. was Nyland. He was there already,
1: yeah. Yeah. Burch was already there. He's mm-hmm. like, um, well, I think anytime you get, like, none of those, you know, Pierre would, would have been the high-profile guy, right? Yeah. And you know, Steve was going to be a 20-goal scorer. Hoagie was kind of the 20-goal scorer to be, right? Mm. He basically got a, a team that turned into... Um, all the pressure on one guy, which was Patty, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It now turned into more of a committee. It yeah. kind of, I believe, happened. And then uh, I think just the chemistry was, you know, there was nothing wrong. Like, Patty's a great guy. Yeah. Like, right? But, um, you know, Patty was never, uh, I don't think, a great captain. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just a very quiet, good guy. Didn't want to really. Um, he just was a good guy, mm-hmm. period. I mean, but he wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a guy that was going to make someone accountable. Like he wanted to, but it was it wasn't in it wasn't in his making, you know. Right. But he was just a, you know obviously a great hockey player with uh, you know and just a great person actually, just a good human.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Later that season, you had a nice, uh, I think it was a home and home uh, fight with Brendan Shanahan, who was with St. Louis at the time. You remember those fights with Shanahan?
1: Oh, yeah. Shannon was like probably one of the guys you fight that, you know, I like to get the fights, get in and get it done now and just move on.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, Brennan uh, was a guy that he liked the long fights.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah.
1: He liked to get into a fight. He liked to, you know, tie you up and you, you're you're scratching and clawing to throw punches and um you know Brandon was a good, one of those guys that you just he was he was tough yeah he was for pound for pound he was a tough guy just he and he fought a lot of tough guys too yes but he was but he was he was he was he was uh what's like uh fuck, he 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 was he was a grappler i guess kind of you know what i mean
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: he was a grappler who threw punches and i'm not a grappler i'd rather just punch and then which whoever you fight, you throw as many as you can, as fast as you can, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 Shanahan was the other way, and he, but he was a guy that I respect very much because I thought he was, he was just a you know he's just he was just a tough hockey player. He was a guy that showed up every night. He, he fought. He wasn't afraid to fight. Um, and you obviously, he's obviously, a very smart man also because he's he's obviously you know even I think once he the Devils and everything else and getting to, to St. Louis he's just got that knack for leadership, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. next season is a fun season. So right off the bat um, you had a teammate this year in 92-93 who is arguably one of the funniest guys and I don't even think he tries to be funny but he's just funny and he's one of the most beloved players who's ever played for the Islanders. Give me a good Darius Casperitis story.
1: Huh. I still I talk to Darius like once a week. I, I mean, I,
0: I I'm listen. I'm I'm unabashedly pro North American player. I'm pro physical player. I, I I'm very much like that. Uh, European players generally have to win me over, and I think Darius won me over after his first shift. I mean, what oh. aside from his on ice stuff? The few times I had spoken to him, he was such a funny guy. And everybody always has a good Darius story.
1: My Darius story was when I I got a lot of Darius stories, but the one that really stands out with with Casper mm-hmm. is um, I don't know which t- we were on the road, and you know we we <laughs> you end up like getting to your keys and getting your keys and um. For your hotel rooms, when you when you first land, get to the well, when you get to the hotel, right? They're all lined up on a table, and yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I'm getting Casper and Scott a chance. I'm going to hide in your room, so I'm going to take your keys, get there quick, right? So I got a couple guys to kind of distract them. I yeah. grab their keys. So now when they get there, they're like they can't find their keys, so they think, oh, they got now they got to go to the front desk, so someone took your keys. Yeah. Meanwhile, I've gone up to the room and I'm hiding in the shower. <laughs> So what's the first thing guys do when they get off the road trip? They go take a dump, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just pull the shower curtain, and I did it to Jeff Norton. Absolutely scared to live in daylight him. <laughs> and you go, hey, just as your <laughs> mid drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is kind of funny. So I'm I'm in the shower, and there a Casper comes in. LC's not with him. Okay. <clears throat> He's by himself. And he's singing in Russian, and he's singing away, and I'm like, well, Christ, he didn't come in here, I'm thinking, and he keeps singing, and he's not, and he's like, also he's putting on the cartoons, and he's watching uh, Looney Tunes, right? Uh-huh. Like, and there's no chance yet. Like, LC's not there yet, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, what'd you think? He's you going to come in here or what? Yeah. And I'm waiting, and I'm getting impatient, and all of a sudden I hear, I'm going to mock him a bit, because he Russian is. Yeah. He must be looking at himself in the mirror. And he's going, "Daddy, oh, Darius, you're a beautiful man. You're a beautiful man, Daddy." <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm trying not to laugh. And he must be turning around, like, spinning. And he's going, Oh, look at that ass, there! you got a beautiful ass, Darius. <laughs> and he's talking to himself, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I am like... And I'm like, I'm trying not to burst out laughing. Yeah. And, I, and he hears me and must like, like, you know, trying to cover my mouth. Yeah. And he's like, who's there? <laughs> LC, is that you? Hey, who's there? He's like, fuck. I walk out of the shower, Go, you're fucked. I walk out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's tremendous.
1: And he's like, chief, what the fuck are you doing in there? <laughs> he's like,
0: <laughs> oh, my God. That is unbelievable. Like, Daddy
1: is you're a beautiful man, (laughs) Because he just loves himself, eh?
0: Oh my god. Like
1: he sends video of himself right now to me working out, pushing the thing, and he's got his seven kids, whatever he's got now. Great guy. And I send him stupid ass videos on on Instant Messenger and some are the like the one I sent to him about this coronavirus and he's like forty five he goes, Who has time to watch forty five minutes (laughs) of this? (laughs) you, <laughs> you're in a pool all day. Yeah, that's, my wife actually said that
0: today. She, we were talking about, you know, being in isolation, and she goes, uh, Darius is posting these things, and him by his pool and everything. Pool. She goes, it's easy to be isolated when you have your own pool.
1: Yeah, and he's got his pontoon boat. Mm. I'm like, talk about living the life, but he's a good man. No, I, Super good guy, and just funny, and I have a lot of Darius funny stories, just how he... Just a good person, him being, obviously, him and I being D partners for that good run and, you know, just watching his back. And, you know, we we learned because of, you know, the way we played. And Casper and I, you know, he's the one that we taught each other without even knowing we were teaching each other. He actually taught me this, actually. He's the one that taught me this. So Casper was like, I got to get more hits. We need more hits, Right. So he's like, you he would tell me, explain to me, in, in his broken English, I'm going to take, you got to take away the wall, Rich. Like telling me to take away the wall,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the lane, to push guys to the middle. Okay. To go for the, to, the open ice hit. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what we started to do. So. so when it would turn into being a one-on-two, we would look at each other and we start skating backwards, fucking take away the wall, and the other guy automatically just started skating forward.
0: Well, you yeah. two guys, I remember the two of you playing together as partners. That you guys were a, a nightmare for everybody. So uh, those were some fun times to watch for
1: sure. Oh yeah, Casper and I were, you know, you you the the energy you build for your team, the energy you build with each other, the excitement. You know, it's just it's that's the stuff that you remember, right? Like even, what, you know, just even now, Casper and I talked about Messenger and me bugging the crap out of him and him bugging me back and just telling me where to go it's freaking funny actually.
0: yeah I think I might try to reach out to him at some point and get him on here yeah you should uh, Yeah,
1: he'd be fun. He'd be great yeah, he, yeah I'm sure you would do it too Like, yeah. he, I'll send him a message too if you don't like. if you're okay with that oh absolutely I'll let him know that unless you should probably do this show It's a yeah. uh, big fan of yours and, oh. you know, and he likes doing stuff like that And yeah. he, he loves himself
0: right <laughs> that, would, that would be <laughs>
1: awesome no he's
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about him for hours for sure. Yeah. But uh, so uh, this season, it, and it really, to me, when I look at the guys that you fought, it really points to the fact that you fought tough guys like Chris King and Randy McKay. Uh, you had I don't know if you remember, you had an amazing toe-to-toe fight with Shane Corson. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, I do, yeah. So you
1: want to talk about that? or? Well, Shane, you know, because of uh, Corson, and I think with, a lot of it had to do with Darcy Tucker. Because Darcy Tucker and, and Shane Corson had a relationship, right? With Yeah. Something with family, I think. or Somebody They're, married someone's sister. Yeah, one of like them,
0: that? I think, uh, well, I don't want to say which one. I, I want to say Corson married Tucker's sister, but I'm not on. It's one, or the, one of them married the other one's sister.
1: Yeah, and so that, which, I, yeah, it was, I think, it, because I was always going after Tucker. Cause I hated Tucker.
0: A lot of people do.
1: And then all of a sudden, I got a rival with Corson a little bit because of Tucker. Yeah. And I didn't know why, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of it's it's unbelievable to uh, sit here and 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 you you look at a guy like like. And who's he? Like he's a tough. Like he was a tough guy.
0: Absolutely.
1: Shane was another tough guy. Mm-hmm. You, you also fought guys, and
0: this again I think comes into play where maybe guys see the visor they don't realize it. Guys like who you know, you say you're not a heavyweight and that's fine, but guys like Ray Shepard, Fatisov, Castles, Dave Barr, and a lot of the time as I was going through the video, these guys are challenging you.
1: Well, because that's partly because of. Uh, just me, like, me getting under their, you know, going after, they're protecting their guys. Yeah. And that's just what it came down to. Uh, You know, me protect, me just abusing their guys so bad that I end up getting, you know, not that's what I wanted, but, you know, in the, and there's where the game, the game within a game, right? hmm and that's what's, uh, you know, in today's game, obviously, there's not a lot of that. And, yeah. You know, you can, there's no accountability anymore. You can kind of sit and do whatever you want to, um, you know, like, there's no more slashing. You, I should say you get to do whatever you want. You can't do anything. Right. Except skate, shoot, really. Well, there's I mean, no on-ice still, accountability. There's no on-ice. There's no more policing. Yeah. You know, before players police themselves, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, now that's not like that anymore, right?
0: No. Not not even close. I mean, there's a few guys that'll hold you accountable, but you could probably you're you're probably talking about six or seven guys in an entire league. And there were times when uh, on the Islander teams you played on, you'd have six or seven guys in the locker room uh, in a lineup in the same lineup that night that would hold you accountable, you know. And now you're really talking about six or seven guys across the whole league. So,
1: well, that's exactly it. And it's yeah. just a whole different yeah, it's a whole different animal. Right? Yeah. You know, and, and the part that we, you know, as players, with and Mick will attest to this, that uh, you know the, you know, Mick and you know, I was fortunate that I got to play enough, right? Mm-hmm. But the guys like Mick and and that are actually heavyweight that had to, you know, get a handful of shifts and actually fight, like that's a tough job, man.
0: Toughest job in sports.
1: It, you know, to sit there and, and knowing that you're playing the Detroit Red Wings. And you may have to fight Probert yep. or Kosher. Yeah. Like that's – and, and you know, that's what he'd go to bed thinking the night before, I'm sure. Yep. Absolutely.
0: So, uh, that, that's uh, – I think that's part of the reason why I gravitate towards players like yourself, players like Mick, is just the respect I have because um, it's just, like I said, it, it, you know, people could say, oh, the goalie is the toughest job or pitcher or whatever – me and and again it's really not part of the game anymore there's only a handful of guys that do it to me there's no job that is more obviously physically taxing because if we're being honest although it's never happened you could you could die i mean guys aren't dying but it's possible uh but but more so the psychological toll that it takes on you the night before you're thinking about who you're playing uh maybe even a week before and then a lot of times with these guys, they don't know. You know, you don't know if you're even going to play. A lot of times it depends on the other team's lineup. So you're you're yeah. psyching yourself up to play this game against Detroit, against Philly with Dave Brown. And then if one or two guys aren't playing, well, all of a sudden you went through this whole cycle, and you're not even playing. You
1: know. Well, it's not that you're not playing. It you're you end up you're you're. Both guys have to do their job so bad that it's 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 hard for them to to you know, psych themselves up to be to be to be ready to freaking maybe get your head ripped off, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, well what awesome. well, I was, I'm glad you, I'm, not, I'm glad I wasn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what I'm trying to say is
0: let's say you guys are going into Philly. Now Mick's going into Philly and he's like, All right now, uh, Dave Brown's there, and and a guy like Terry Carchner's there. All of a sudden, now all of a sudden, well, Dave Brown's a, a scratch, and Terry Carchner's a scratch. So Mick's gone through this process for 24 hours trying to get his head into it, psyching himself up, and now they find out that well, Brown's not playing, Carchner's not playing. Well, now you're a healthy scratch. So it's like you, it, it's like you can't win, and you can't
1: win. And plus, you you it's you're you're getting yourself all worked up right and then it's it's so you're wh- whatever the other team is dressing decide whether you're in the lineup mm-hmm. i never i was fortunate that wasn't like that for me yeah because of being a you know obviously in a, in a top i guess always more in a, you know always in the lineup right mm-hmm. so you know and i was always for whatever reason got to play with the better defensemen. yeah like i got to play with johnson i got to play with guys that were needing that stay-at-home guy and you know, you know, obviously when I went to the Rangers it was leaked, but it's like it's I got, and it seemed like those better defensemen, you know, my whole job was just get them the puck, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Make my first pass if It's not there, give it to them and let them do their thing and cover their ass, so,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, this season was actually the first season you played in the uh, American League because you made the jump right from the Western League to the NHL. Uh, you played six games with Capital District, so I'm I'm guessing these were like rehab assignments, right? Coming back from an injury.
1: Yeah, they're all coming back from injuries. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was just—it was actually harder to play in the minors than it was to play in the NHL. And I tell my, you know what, my son Garrett, who's actually got—I believe he's got. Well, he does. He not. I believe. I know he does. He's got hockey IQ for the, at the pro level, like high end. Yeah. And he'll be a better NHLer than he will be a, probably even an American League guy if he if he just gets the opportunity. Yeah. Because in the you know like fuck I went down in the minor. it was a fucking fire drill. Yeah. It, it was like holy shit I'm like um, I don't know here's kind of like another good story actually like if you like fucking funny stories and but this first stuff that I tell you that's fine. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Go for well, it, guess, man. Keep going. Well, here's fucking here's something that's funny. Um, so I'm getting I guess me and Dennis Vasky mm-hmm. we're racing each other to beat each other back for uh, to get back in the lineup because Al was coaching Huey Krupp was there Jeff Norton and and Al was so superstitious right and the team started was starting to do well and Bubba and I were like we knew we were we, we said we're like whoever gets back the other guy's gonna have to go down
2: yeah
1: and we didn't want to go down mm. And I said, "Well, Bubba, you're going to have to go down." I said, "But Bubba beat me back, anyways." And Chris Luongo had been called up, and Louis was doing very well. Yeah. And Bubba is like beats me back. The team wins. I'm ready. Like like three or four days, like a week later, and I end up. Uh, Al comes up to me. Practice. It's Monday. Right after the weekend, they win win both. And uh, he got the green light that I'm ready to play from Richie. And uh, Al goes, we're going to send you to the minors. So I had already been prepared. Yeah. And I said, uh, I'm not going. Donnie Maloney was the GM. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you're not going. I said, no. I said, "You goes, what do you mean you're not fucking going? I remember we were at, the, at SciOSet there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he goes, you're going down, Rich. I said, no, I'm not. Well, you ought to put me on waivers there. And he goes, and he went off about just fucking blew up on me and just gave me shit about, you know, basically a little bit of entitlement. You know what I mean? Like that kind of speech. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm still on a fucking, I'm still on a two-way, mat. Yeah. So I'm worried about that, right? Mm -hmm. So my agent's worried about me for that. So I end up... uh, um, he you goes, you're going down. And I said, okay. And I never said a word. I left, went off the ice. Uh, also, Donnie calls me and says, I'll be at the rink in the morning. So Tuesday morning I get there, and Donnie's like, um, you're Rich, you're gonna. we want you to go down. I said, well, I said, Donnie, I said, I'm not going to go down unless I have a freaking flight back. I said, that's what my agent told me to tell you guys. You can call if you want.
2: Yeah.
1: So basically, I went out. I played in Phoenix and Vegas. <laughs> Friday in, in Phoenix, Sunday, Saturday in Ve- Vegas. Come home Sunday and back with the team on Monday. Mm-hmm. I left on a Thursday. And um, so I go down. I come. So anyways, back to, to this story with Al. We end up, so I'll give it a little bit of prelude. So we get back. Now, and I played well when I went down. Mm-hmm. Well, I come back up. So Rick Green is the assistant coach. Al's Al's there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, right after practice over, uh, you know, it's getting we're getting close to like we're getting for like a run. You know what I mean? Like before playoffs. Yeah. And Yui Kroup we're all standing by the water. Yui, Jeff, myself, Bubba, the, all the D guys. Mm-hmm. And Rick Green was like D coach at the time. And Al goes over to Norty and says, uh, Norty, i got to talk to you. And he says to Norty he's not going to be in the lineup on Wednesday. And Yui's sitting there. And Yui goes, what do you mean? And Jeff comes over. He goes, goes, can you believe this fucking shit? He goes, I'm not in the fucking lineup. And Al's right there. Yeah. And have you ever heard this story? No. And fucking Yui... So then Jeff goes, looks at Rick Green and goes, Greeny, do you think I should be out of the lineup? And Greeny puts his head down. Oh, no. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Well, now credibility with Al just went out the fucking door, right? Yeah. And um, Al goes, Al said, Nordy, you're out. And Nordy goes, you know what, Al? Fuck you. Oh, shit. He goes, you think you're a fucking coach? He goes, those four Stanley Cups you guys won? He goes, Big Bird could have fucking been behind the bench with those scouts. Oh, shit. Fuck. Hmm. Well, that's how Nordy got his way out of... S- so then Nordy goes off the ice. He smashes up the whole door of the coaching door, right? Yeah. And uh, does that. And then uh, freaking uh, gets sent down. Basically, he got traded two days later. Shit. That was Nordy. He got traded to San Jose. Wow unfucking believable. So there's the you know, the you know, but going down to the Myers was just I was a target, right? That
0: was one of my questions when you were yeah, down especially but, Capital District.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't want to fight. Yeah. I end up I hurt two guys in Vegas and <clears throat> just like I actually hurt two guys. Like one guy with a knee with a knee on knee, but it wasn't wasn't me like sticking out uh uh, my knee or anything like that was mm-hmm. more just an accident, right? Yeah. So, um, but it was just, I was a target. It wasn't fun with hard yeah. action.
0: So that's part one of my interview with Rich Pilon. I hope that you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed chatting with him. Stay tuned. Next Monday, part two will drop. It's another, uh, two hour piece with Rich where, uh, we cover the second half of his career. And, um, Again, I think, it was, uh, I think it was a great job by Rich. Very forthcoming and uh, lots of laughs in this interview. It was a lot of fun for me to do. So uh, I hope you people enjoyed Part 1. I know that you'll enjoy Part 2 next week. And until then, stay safe, everyone. Have a great day.